1: So welcome to our very first Christian effing Bale episode. So we're going to be talking about the Dark Knight trilogy, which is Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and then The Dark Knight Rises. I'm very excited. I have Susie and Carla here with me. Carla is going to be on every single Christian fucking Bale episode. We may have surprise appearances by somebody else at some point. So this should be a ton of fun. I am so excited for this. I, I am so excited that on an episode discussing the television show, Girlfriends, which is where you would never expect this to happen, that's the episode that gave birth to our unofficial mascot, Christian Effing Bale. I have been a fan of Christian Bales forever. So before we even begin, before we start with going around... I just want to know for fun, since we're celebrating this man all month long, we even have merch called It's a Christian Effing Bale thing. Pick it up in our Redbubble store. I want to know, Carla, how long have you been a fan of Christian Bale? Or are you a fan of Christian
2: <laughs> mean, He's okay. Like, whatever. I'll, I'll just come up on, on all, of his epi- and all of his episodes just because, you know me, I like to talk. Um, no, I, I, I think... I've always enjoyed his performance as his his commitment to every role that he goes for because he really goes for it like <laughs> yeah. so hard and I, I just I, I'm fascinated by his process and by his charisma and also by the fact that he just seems like like a just like an interesting person all around so as far as for how long like maybe 25 30 years? I don't know, a, a good long while. Yeah. Yeah. And Susie, how long have you been a fan?
3: Well, personally, for me, it was after I watched Hal's Movie Castle and his, his, listen, listen, this man's <laughs> no. voice in that movie is just so like seductive. And you're like, dang, am I about to fall in love with this shape shifting Birdman wizard? Yes. Am I going to regret any second of it?
4: No.
1: Like, yes, speak to me in those dulcet tones. I I loved that. Yes, yes. Because we will be discussing his voice during this episode, for sure. I mean, there's no way you can't discuss his voice when you're discussing Batman. Uh, But for me, you know, honestly, the, the role that really made me become a fan was seeing the movie that we talked about earlier this year, American Psycho, when I saw that in the theaters.
2: That was the movie that made me. Earlier this year. How much earlier the year can it be? It's January 1st. (laughs) (laughs) The movie we discussed at 4 a.m. January 1st, 2022.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it was earlier this year. You were on it. And then, oh, yeah, that was last year. So in 2021, so in case anybody's wondering why we are not talking about American Psycho during our month celebration, because that would be number one if we hadn't already talked about it. We talked about American Psycho back in, I think it was April of 2021, (laughs) the year that gave birth to Christian Effing Bale as our mascot and unofficial mascot. Sorry, I've got to say that because he hasn't, you know, he will eventually give us his blessing for this, but he hasn't yet. So um, so that was what kind of started it, even though it was on the Girlfriends episode that he became our unofficial mascot. But it was because we were talking about how excited especially I was to talk about American Psycho, because that was the movie that I was like, I have never seen anyone like this. I mean, there was just something about his commitment to that role and how terrifying he was. And I was scared of him. I was like literally scared of him. And of course, I've seen other things with him that changed my mind. I think American Psycho is still my favorite role of his. My second favorite we're going to be talking about next week. So spoiler alert, (laughs) my second favorite performance is coming next week. There are a bunch that I love. And maybe during some time during this, I'll count down my top five. Because actually one of the roles we're going to be talking about that he won the Academy Award for is actually not in my top five favorite performances of his. I think it's great but not my top five. But I was like, we have to talk about the movie where he won an Academy Award for. Be stupid not to. And I didn't want to talk about Vice, even though he didn't win the Academy Award, but I really didn't want to talk about Vice because maybe we'll do that when we revisit Christian Bale. Or maybe we'll do an Adam McKay month. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if
2: I want that doesn't sound like a thing.
1: <laughs> Except for then we could talk about the big short and then we could talk about a couple of guys I love. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, including Christian Bale. So, okay. So we're going to go around and intro- we don't need to introduce ourselves, but we're going to go around. Everybody's going to tell me one thing they're into right now in pop culture besides Christian Bale. So Carla, what are you into right now?
2: Well, right now I'm into collecting books to read for, <laughs> you know. It's the, the the start of a new year. So naturally I'm like, oh, I'm going to read all the books in the world. And I'm not going to read all <laughs> of the books. Like I, I might not even get through like the first layer. Uh, but more importantly, um, Bex tweeted about a um, a service on which you can, it, it's kind of like a Goodreads, but the the thing about it that makes it better than Goodreads is that it's not owned by Amazon for one thing. And it is um, run by, by a Black woman. So I think that's pretty awesome. And the service is called Storygraph, okay? Like it's so new to me, I just learned about it today that I I haven't committed it to memory yet. I did download it, so it's called Storygraph. I downloaded it, I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about putting on dozens of books on there that I may or may not ever read.
1: (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And Susie, what are you into? Oh, I really
3: had the extreme privilege of going to see Sing Two. And oh my goodness, this is an adorable, like, feel good movie. Tara Negerton's voice is to die for. I love this man so much. And it's just, oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. It's, it's great. I, oh my goodness. It's, I just, like, I recommend it. It's it's really great. Like, No Way Home Who, Sing Two. That's where it's at, in my humble
4: opinion. I'm saying. <laughs>
1: Continue <laughs> my Holland slander. <laughs> I know, I know, because you don't like Tom Holland. So that was that was an it that was a little dig there at that Spider-Man. You know, and Spider-Man is Marvel, and wow. we're talking about DC tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, Taryn Edgerton, everybody should know that I love Taryn Edgerton very, very, very much. If we had started this podcast. Well, during the well, we did kind of start it right after. So I did talk about Rocket Man song. But <laughs> so like, but
2: that, I, I that
1: feel, was my fit of the moment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel it like those were, you know, like gentler days. Gentler back, days. <laughs> back when um you can also have TikTok.
1: Oh man, you know what? I have not looked for Tarrant Edgerton TikToks. Maybe I should Ooh. do that. Although I have to say I was getting kind of sick of his Instagram photos of him working out—I don't know why—but that stuff irritates the crap out of me. When men take pictures of themselves working out or take video, I don't know why. I'm just—and I love the guy—but I'm just like, oh gosh, oh my gosh, seriously. Anyway. For me, it's,
2: it's sweaty salties. I think they're gross. Like, I don't care how hot you are—you're you're slimy. Go shower and then take a picture. Yeah,
3: same. same. Like, show me the gains after the workout when you've taken a nice bath. No. Maybe like maybe if they have like, a face mask on because that would be really good for your pores since they're opened up after a nice shower. That'd be nice, you know. Just yeah, to, to show, yeah. like what you're eating after. Foods pictures are great too.
1: Yeah, or like or like you know when you've gone out in the rain and your hair is all wet and you're trying to say you're taking a picture of your dog in the background but really oh, yeah. taking a picture of yourself mm-hmm. and you're He's saying look like, at oh. my dog and no one's looking at your dog. This completely my dog casual, casual in the rain. picture that yeah, was. A- look at look at <laughs> look at my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thirst trapping With at my all. Smoldering face. Look at my dog. Anyway, <laughs> it's like a word logo. That's the dog
3: in that yeah. picture. It really
1: was. If if it hadn't said my dog, you know, if he hadn't mentioned his dog, likes doesn't like to go out in the rain, I would have been like, I would have never seen the dog. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Okay, well, and this is Erin, and what I'm into is on Peacock, you can watch the show Chucky, which is all about child's play. And I I see my panelists laughing about this, but (laughs) this is a very well done show. And it led me to decide that during our horror month in October of this year, since we are in 2022, since I already screwed that up earlier, but we are in 2022... We are going to talk about Child's Play. So I recommend watching that. I thought it was, I I mean, I've only watched like one episode. So (laughs) I don't know if it stays good, but I enjoyed it a lot. So go check that out on Peacock. Okay. So now we're going to get into this very short episode. (laughs) Talking about the Dark Knight Trilogy. So we're going to go in order of the movies and just talk about certain things within them. I was going to do it differently, but I was like, no, because the way I want to break it up. So we're going to start, of course, with Batman Begins. And these are all Christopher Nolan movies. Um, And but actually really quick. I know this isn't on the outline. I shouldn't add anything else to this, but I'm still going to add this. I want to know because I have very specific memories when this casting announcement came out that Christian Bale was going to be Batman. And Christian Bale was, like, not known. He was, like, an underground indie cult. He had a, he has a cult following. He has a fandom, like, they have a name and everything. So he has a following, has always had a following, but he wasn't really well known until this. So, Carla, what were your thoughts when you heard Christian Bale was cast as Batman?
2: Okay. Anytime I hear casting news about Batman and it's not Michael Keaton... I'm like, why? Why are they doing this again? Like, why? And especially after it went from from Michael Keaton to George Clooney to Val Kilmer, I was like, okay, it's just, it can only get worse, but I, I still had that, that, Yeah, it's like, okay, let's just scrape the bottom of the barrel now. But when, because it's Christian Bale, I was like, well, this sounds interesting. Like if nothing else, it might not be good, but it might be interesting. Because my my thought was, I wonder what they're going to do with it to cast, to have cast Kristen Bale in it. Because I can't see it being like the past movies. And, oh, it wasn't (laughs) at all. No. (laughs)
1: And Susie. So I'll just give my thoughts and then we'll come back to Susie. Hopefully she comes back in. So I've said before on this podcast, I don't care what people say. I love Batman. I've always loved Batman. Batman is my favorite superhero. Always will be. Second is actually Catwoman. So <laughs> I love Catwoman uh, for many, many reasons. And so when I heard this, I, I, I'm with Carla. I very much think of uh, Michael Keaton as the number one Batman. I don't anymore. Spoilers. Christian Bale is my favorite Batman and my favorite Bruce Wayne. But when I heard this, I was kind of, I was really shocked. I was like, First of all, I was like, I can't believe Christian Bale signed on to do such a huge movie because to me, he doesn't seem like that. Like he's attracted to that. I don't think of him as attracted to like fame and stardom and all that kind of stuff. So I was surprised, number one. Number two, I was kind of, I just, I was, I'll be honest. I think he, I was like, you're a great actor, but I'm not sure I see you in this role. It was hard because I love George Clooney, but I think George Clooney was awful in the role. I love Val Kilmer, but I think Val Kilmer was awful in the role. So for me, it was like, I don't know. I don't know. And Christopher Nolan, at that point, I was a fan. I'm not as big a fan of Christopher Nolan anymore. But I was a fan of his then because I liked, like, Memento and this great little film he did called Following. Go check that out. So I liked those films. So I was like, okay, this might be kind of interesting. And then when I went and saw Batman Begins... I was so blown away by this movie. I will tell you a little bit later what ended up happening with me, fandom-wise, because this was a big, big experience for me, fandom-wise, this movie. But I was blown away, and like I said, he ended up becoming my favorite. Okay, so Susie, you're back, and you're not frozen. So Susie, what were your initial thoughts when you heard the casting news?
3: Yeah, well, for me, Batman will always be Kevin Conroy, uh, mainly because as a kid, I grew up watching Batman the Animated Series and I played the Arkham games. And so he has always been like, he has been my Batman for like my overarching Batman. So I'm always a little bit wary when there's live action adaptations of Batman. (laughs) And I'm always wary of the casting. But when when I saw that Christian Will was gonna be Batman, I was like, okay, we're gonna give this a shot. You know, just to see. Because it could it could be that he's really
1: good or it could be that he's really bad. Who knows? Thank God he didn't Ben Affleck it. <laughs> Thank God Angela's not in on here. Angela oh! Angela loves that's her favorite. I think oh, yeah, Ben I Affleck. Fine. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> <He's not> <laughs> that's why I kind of she was like you don't want me on that live stream. Because...
2: <laughs> <laughs> She'll just compare everything to Ben Affleck and then we'll, I'll, I'll just sit here and be like no.
1: I know. I'm like, this is honoring Christian Bale. We're not going to <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Susie. No, no, no. It's yeah, because no, I think out of all the Batman that
3: there have been, this is going to be slander. Some people, um, Ben Affleck is like the lowest, uh, in my ranking. Um, so yeah, I mean, wow, even lower sorry, than George. Yeah. Oh, listen, George was hilarious. He had the back card. That was amazing. And the nipples. Amazing. And the nips. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank
1: you, Joe Schumacher. I love you for that. And he has uh, offered, supposedly, he's offered to refund people their money if they went paid money to go see him. <laughs> no refunds needed. It's one of the reasons I love George. Is he- <laughs> Oh, that's that's hilarious though. Yeah, yeah. If Angela was on here, she'd be fighting you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> uh I already said said my thoughts. So let's get into Batman Begins, which of course is about Batman becoming Batman. Lots of backstory, uh lots of stuff about childhood. Of course, we see the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents, which is fine in this one, in my opinion, but we don't need to see it again. <laughs> Been there, done that 100 billion times. We know what happened to his parents. Um, so, Carla, before we get into Bale's performance, do you think we needed this much backstory in Batman Begins?
2: Holy God, no. <laughs> we did not need this oh much God, backstory. No. Jesus freaking Christ, no. It was just so much. Like, oh, the, but here's the thing like, each of these movies could have easily been. like an hour shorter. Because they're they're, they're just just so jam packed. And this is one of those those things where I'm just like, okay, yes, it's an excellent movie. It did not need to be this long. There's some movies, so uh, I just could go on about this forever, but no, it did not need to have that much backstory. It's like, we get it, we get it. He's an orphan, he's sad about it, he's angry about it. And then he's sad about it and then he does stuff. And then he's still angry. And then he sad some more. <laughs> we we understand. Like, oh, the whole uh, beginning of, you know, how he meets Ra's al Ghul and the training, everything. Everybody loves a good montage. Did not need it to extend for like 45 minutes. Did not need that much of a, of a training montage. I like seeing, you know, like awesome martial arts style fighting. I was kind of burnt out. At, at, at some point, I was like, okay, we gotta come just... Is there any place else that this man can go? <laughs> is there any <sighs> place yes. man can go? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my yeah. God.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and definitely the shortening. I, I realized that when I was watching these, I watched Batman Begins in the Dark Knight last weekend. And then I watched The Dark Knight Rises today, which is the longest one of all of them is The Dark Knight Rises. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this... Oh, this has been going on forever.
2: It's the, it feels like the longest thing on the planet when you're watching yes. it, especially when you're binging them. Yes, it's just like, why isn't this over yet? Yes, and, and I like, love them, but me too. But still, enough is enough. Yes, yes.
1: So, Susie, do you share that view that there was way too much backstory?
3: Listen, as a as a Batman aficionado, <laughs> I am somewhat well-versed in his backstory and how he comes to be Batman so in every movie that or in every iteration of Batman that we get oh happy family off to the theater and then oh no the parents have been alive and he is now a, <laughs> an orphan <laughs> and it's like a whole thing and the, oh it's, that's the one thing I like disliked about Batman in cinema is that with every like new iteration we rehash this again and again. We did it. We did it with with the Clooney's, we did it with the Schumachers and the Burdens It's like we did it. We did it with with Nolan. We did
2: it with Affleck. We're gonna do like it with Rob How I'm, many times do we need to watch Uncle Ben die?
1: Yes, I'm it's good exactly on that. The same comparison, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it makes you feel like they think we're stupid. Like we don't know that this is what happened. For real. Even if but, you haven't read like, the honestly, comics, you know. Yeah,
3: like Batman and Annie are two of like the most famous orphans in the world, and you, ever, <laughs> everyone knows their stories. Almost
2: <laughs> everyone. I want to see that crossover. I do too. <laughs> the sun will come <laughs> out tomorrow. tomorrow. No, you won't.
4: <laughs> <Well>. <laughs>
3: like, but for reals. Like, oh my goodness, no. no Like, it's, oh, it's just it gets rehashed so often. And it's just like, y'all, I'm done. Like, we all know. We, we've been new.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. When I first saw this, though, I will say, I, I thought it was so well done. And I liked the fact that we didn't see Batman right away. And when we finally see Batman, I want to say, I, I think it's actually the scariest Batman, that's Sorry, scariest Batman has ever been. I mean, really, the way they do Batman when Batman is introduced is really like, you know, being... It's the way that a criminal would have viewed Batman because Batman is trying to get them. So the way they did that was so well done that I did like that there was buildup to it. It's hard on rewatches because you're just like, oh my gosh. And since there's been so many other Batmans you know, it's kind of like, okay, we don't need this story. It could have been shown within a 20 minute time frame. We could have shown everything. We could have shown him as a child. We could have shown him falling in the well and being afraid of the bats. We could have shown him, you know, going, uh, you know, almost shooting the person who killed his parents and then going off and training. And that could have all been done in 20 minutes. It did not need to be done in the time amount, and the amount of time that it was done. Except I did like watching some of the training montages when I'm going to be completely shallow because it's me christian bale looks very very good in this movie and in these movies so i mean <laughs> and to think he made yeah. this right after the machinist
2: that's what i was thinking <laughs> I, I was looking up the timing of it's it poor body and also because like i watched the machinist last night and then i watched the batman trilogy oh, it's like whoa i know oh, that's a lot of change for one little body
1: yeah and he actually had to do like a screen test thing while he was doing the machinist for this and he had to really convince him, no, it'll be okay. <laughs> this isn't how I normally look. <laughs> I don't normally look this way. But but yeah, I agree. It was too much. So I want to get into the performance here because I know people, even though people love this trilogy, there are a lot of people that actually don't like Bale as Batman per se. They like him, I think, more as Bruce Wayne. Well, they're I wrong. Mean. I agree. But so Carla... <laughs> What do you think of Bale, first as Bruce Wayne, both, you know, even before he decides to become Batman, and then after that, just overall, what do you think of him as Bruce Wayne?
2: As Bruce Wayne, I, I think he's he really captures that whole facade of being a playboy. You know, like, he, you you can see that it's forced, that it's a, a put-upon performance that he should, that he's putting out there for the world. He's really troubled and bothered underneath at all. And he's still completely clueless about the the actual world because whatever his parents may have, whatever ideals his parents may have espoused as far as creating a more just society, they were still billionaires. Like, okay, there's only Mm -hmm. so much that your good heart can take you if you're still sitting on that much money. And the fact that he never really had to work, he never really had to do anything to make a life for himself everything was just kind of handed to him and he goes out there and just doesn't understand what the real world is about and then when he um during the one of the many montages when he's talking about that he he became a criminal to see what you know to see what it was like and it, it's only like part of the story. So he's even then he's not really seeing the realities, the realities of what most of the people are living, because he talks about the, the you know the adrenaline, the adrenaline before a jo- uh, job, and then once you succeed and you have that victory, I'm like okay great. And all of this, by the way, it's, it's not exactly a life like most of these people have lived. It's it's con- a condensed period of time and um, it's all very, you know, kind of slumming it with the pores. It, it has that, that feeling because he has a complete safety net. It's like at any point, and is exactly what happened. He calls Alfred, Alfred shows up and, you know, a giant thing to pick him up. It's, I'm done playing poor. I want to go home now, <laughs> but he, yeah. it, and, and, and there is that um that, that a lot of, of people of privilege have where they think, I'm going to make the world better because I understand what it's really like now without actually talking to the people who are living in these conditions and asking them, hey, how could I improve your life? It's just, I'm going to show up and knock out all of these bad guys. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, Okay. All right, cool. That that's fine, but all of this, as far as his, his performance, like he he pulls it off in a way that uh, that you feel sympathetic towards him, Or it's like you buy that he is a good guy, genuinely caring about the city of Gotham, and, and genuinely wants to make a difference, and um, you get sucked into forgetting all of that stuff, all of those those things that that I mentioned before. It's a, it's a really he, he, he plays rich <laughs> really well. <laughs> like it's like this an, an American psycho. It's
0: true. Yeah and, you
2: know, like he, he dresses up nicely. He looks like he like he belongs in those fancy suits. what can I say?
0: Yeah. He
1: he he plays rich kind of Playboy douchebags very well. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, Susie, what do you think of Bale as Bruce Wayne?
4: I
3: I like it. Um, it is one of my more like more preferred like recent versions of of the Bat. Um, I think he like he think he does a really good job of playing that kind of like kind of dumb, just playboy. Who's <laughs> just, just there to like buy a hotel because he wants his model to play in the fountain i love that scene so <laughs> <much>. <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> or just like yeah. pushing like t- like dining to like restaurant tables together and he's like oh, they're gonna let me do it because i bought the hotel so mm. <laughs> i with a russian ballet, like just <laughs> it's fun how he uses stuff like this as a cover for like Batman but it's just hilarious so he's like oh man i got to come up with an alibi i know rich guy stuff <laughs> that's how we'll do it <laughs>
4: it's just so dumb and it but, works
3: uh, I, yep
4: it does. <laughs> and so
3: some, something that i also really appreciate is like showing kind of especially in begins is showing his ingenuity of creating like the bat suit and its gadgets like how he, when he gets the stuff for the cowl he's like, okay, we have to buy like 10 million pieces (laughs) and we have to buy this separately and we'll put it together ourselves. And he's like spray painting his suit. (laughs) He's like really DIYing this whole thing, (laughs) trying to figure it out. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if any one of us had the money and the time, (laughs) this would probably be what it's like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it's I, I like seeing that, like, the ingenuity and the, like, the figuring of, like, figuring things out, like, yes, he has access to all this money, but it's fun to see him, like, even work with Lucius and being like, hey, so if I want to go spelunking, um, what do I, <laughs> like, like, would this work for that? Or, like, what if I want to joyride the freaking, what's it called, the, the bet tumbler. Yes. Like does it and he's like, does this come in black? <laughs> just, like that would be me though too. It's like, does this come in black? No, okay, fine, I'll I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine even if it didn't, he would probably just like stand there spray paying it piece by piece. It's <laughs> like <laughs> no can't have, have camo gotta be black.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, I think you know, Bale is great as Bruce Wayne. Both both the version, you know, when you first see Bruce Wayne with that horrible wig that they put him in when he's younger, it's got to be a wig. I mean, <laughs> it's so bad. He's this very entitled rich dude who decides the way he's going to avenge his parents' death is by, you know, shooting the person who killed his father and doing it in this way where he doesn't even think about. Anything else, any other consequences, anybody else until Rachel kind of tries to show him, you know, what is going on in the part of the city that he doesn't understand. And yes, he tries to understand that. But I think even throughout this whole series, that's the one thing that I know is the reason a lot of people don't like Batman and a lot of people criticize Batman is he still does have that rich white entitlement thing throughout. I mean, Throughout every single iteration, even though he is uh, the Dark Knight and even though he is trying to help and he's doing a lot of good things and he's a good person, he still sometimes is oblivious to certain things. And he lets his own ego and his own pain sometimes cloud his judgment. And you see it a lot. It still goes on. And I kind of appreciate that because I think that's kind of accurate to the character. I think they show it a lot more in this series than they do in any of the other ones as far as like blatantly showing it. Especially, I think, in The Dark Knight Rises, more than anything, there's a lot of that in there. And so I think that's very interesting, is that he's acting like he is above that rich, white entitlement. And that's just the role he's playing. He even says that to Rachel, this isn't really me. But it's still, he still is playing that role sometimes. He still has that. I mean, he doesn't have to play that rich playboy role and and bed every woman he can. But he does. I mean, I don't necessarily blame him. It's just... He, he's like, okay, I can do this. Might as well bed the whole Russian ballet.
2: <laughs> imagine, can you just imagine that sex scene? Like, he 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 goes home with them, and he's like, oh, listen, you know, I'm gonna make this just really fast. It's only because I have to screw you. All right, I don't. I, I don't want to have sex with you. I just really have to. So, just don't take this as a, a you know, it's a sample of my general performance, but it's gotta be quick and done. Okay. Because I, I have things I got to do. I'm gonna put you in a nice car, send you home, send you flowers in the morning, but it, it's not gonna be good. It's just gonna be done.
1: Wow. It's it's, it's like uh Patrick Bateman with flowers.
2: <laughs> minus the stabby stabby. And, you know. and
1: minus the stabby stabby. <laughs> I mean I
2: feel like it's a better way, deal.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh much better. Yes. I would much Rather sleep with Bruce Wayne than Patrick Bateman any day of the week, <laughs> even with Patrick Bateman's regime and watching his ass in the shower, I still would much rather sleep with Bruce Wayne <laughs> because I know Bruce Wayne's not going to kill me. So you know, and Patrick Bateman will most likely kill me. So I would much rather sleep with Bruce Wayne any day of the week. So yeah, yeah. I think he does a good job of as Bruce Wayne throughout the whole series. And whenever we get to the new movies, we'll briefly just say where we're kind of finding Bruce Wayne and Batman. Because it's all different, each iteration and each sequel, I mean. So now I want to talk about Bale as Batman. Because I know a lot of people have issues. Some people do later on. I think when this first came out, people didn't have as much many issues as they do now. But a lot of people... Don't necessarily like this Batman. And the reason they don't like this Batman is because of the voice is the biggest reason. Because it's very, you know, it's not like that. <laughs> it's that very
4: deep, I am Batman. <laughs> it's,
1: it's like Dean Winchester is Batman. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that. I was thinking that the day when I was watching The Dark Knight Rises, I, I'm like, I
2: feel like, okay, so <laughs> th- the first one came out, what, 2005.
1: Yeah, I think that was yeah, that was when it was. Yeah.
2: Okay, and when the supernatural start, I'm just I, I'm I'm not pointing 2005. fingers. Hmm. I
1: believe it
2: was
1: 2005. Hmm.
2: Okay. <laughs> because I think as the yeah. series as, as I I think that as the trilogy goes on, the bat voice gets more and more exaggerated. So Hmm. And that's around the time that Jensen Ackles and Misha Collins started doing their deep voice off.
1: We figured it out.
2: <laughs> we, we, we figured out the connection, you know, blame it on Supernatural, like I do everything else in my life. Aside from speculation, yes, I understand. Okay, so <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think he, he was great. I mean, like, the um, Nolan's vision really was this darker style where it's it's more gritty, more, I guess, pseudo-realistic. And Because like all of the, the preceding films, except for maybe the first Tim Burton one, um, except for the, maybe the first Michael Keaton one, were just so much lighter and fluffier. And they were just... Even though the, the Penguin is terrifying, he's not on the same type of terrifying that um, any of the baddies in the Batman trilogy and the Nolan trilogy were. And it required a very specific kind of performance and I think that that's why Christian Bale was perfect for this specific Batman and he he really you know voice aside he really nailed the demands of the role which are to be intimidating and tormented mm-hmm. because Batman more even more so than Bruce Wayne Batman is such a tormented hero he doesn't want to have to do this. He doesn't want to have to knock around these bad guys. But it's like, oh, you know, if only you hadn't dropped, I wouldn't have to punch you in the face. The fact that with uh, with Ras Al Ghul, he didn't want to leave him in that subway car, but it's what he had to do because he's not going to kill him, but he's also not going to help him, which is the same thing, Batman. Just pointing that out there. You know, it's the same outcome. You know what's going to happen. You know what you did. (laughs) And, you know, like, if, honestly, if if the voice is the people's, is people's biggest problem with this, uh, with this particular Batman, then that's, that's just being picky. Because there, there are so many other important things to, to this role that I think are just, that that just uh, matter more than the silly voice, which the voice was silly. I'm not taking that away. (laughs) But I, I just, I, I I don't see a reason to make that the the deciding factor in whether a Batman is whether the performance was good or not, yeah, yeah. Why did you kill your husband? Sorry I just-
1: <laughs> 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 so-, <laughs> so Susie, what do um- you think of Batman?
4: <laughs>
3: It's not i do, do agree with the consensus that the voice is very silly um but i do kind of see like the in-universe use of it of him being like i wear the mask so no one will-, will hurt the people i love i adopt this voice so that mm-hmm. people can't trace me back to because listen this is also ha- has been like my one gripe with batman like throughout his whole collective history is that it's the same voice guys it's just, like Batman in suit and out of suit, like in both, like Batman Bruce Wayne, yeah. same voice. Like, I'm surprised that no, like, Batman fangirls <laughs> in these universes have been, like, connecting the dots or even, like, the villains that he's beat up. They're like, hold on a second. Those lips look familiar. That voice is familiar. Those <gasps> lips look familiar. Those eyes. Cause, yeah, cause you're only seeing, like, this sound. I know. <laughs> I <didn't> even <laughs> think about and you're that. like, <gasps> That's the yeah. exfoliated lips. They're those of Bruce Wayne. <laughs>
2: no one They look very like, expensively exfoliated.
1: They yes. I was gonna say something else,
2: but never mind. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> whoa, dear. But more importantly, everybody, more importantly, with all of that technology, they could have invested in like a voice changer.
3: Uh, for reals, sir. That's like, like true. hidden in the neck That's of the cowl, so he wouldn't have to yeah. hear his voice. Yeah.
2: Yes, like Lucius Fox could have been like, "Oh, you know what might be helpful?
3: What if you have this for when you go spelunking? <laughs> <laughs> Take this with you." Yep. Like he's I can fully imagine, it. like Alfred, like uh, every night after Bruce comes home, he's just sitting there with like a cup of tea, like here, sir, and some lozenges, like there you go. If you're gonna
2: need this, then it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I thought and I suddenly, drank a lot of peppermint tea. I mean, yeah. suddenly, when Enterprises buys a whole apiary just so that he can produce his own honey, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he bought stock in Celestial Seasonings. <laughs> 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 they send him like truckloads of peppermint tea. Like, sir, this, this, why are we sending so much to a matter? Don't ask questions, kid. If the check clears,
1: it's we're all good. <laughs> just, he comes up letting. here. He comes up here once a year and goes into the mid room at <laughs> yeah. the Celestial Seasonings Plant here in Colorado. Which, if you ever want your sinuses cleared, go there. Yeah, he goes there every once in a while and he's like, ah, he just stands there in the center of the room. He's like, What are you doing? <laughs> Don't mind me.
3: <laughs> His shipment is like he's like, first mate. Shipment. Oh <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> i can see this happening (laughs) but i think it is like i think his his performance as batman is a good kind of way to see how batman would be in kind of like a quote-unquote somewhat realistic setting like a more Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's not fully immersed in like a comic universe you can yeah see him being all spooky dooky like my favorite moment of his is when he shows up at the docks and he's throwing around those batarangs and people are like what the hell is this because no one knows who he is yet and they're just mm-hmm. like what? and then he pops up on the car that... <laughs> let me it's always funny to hear him say the batman and he just picks him up <laughs> the, the mob boss and he's like who are you the Batman. It's like whoop. And he just like disappears out of nowhere. Nice coat. And then just leaves. <laughs> like,
4: oh
3: my god. It's but it is it is a really fun portrayal and to kind of just see his like how gritty he is and kind of what he he goes through. And it's I I, I like it. I mean, you can get over the voice like really quick. It's just kind of washes over you after a while. <laughs> I think for most people, it might have just been like that initial shock of most likely seeing him in the costume and then him going, the Batman. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's what a lot of because I actually, you know, and I think it's interesting what Michelle said that uh, she didn't even notice the voice until people started making jokes about it. And I think that's that's interesting because. I I do think it's that initial shock when you first hear him speak in that voice because you haven't heard him speak like that the whole time. But it makes sense. Like you said, Susie, it makes sense he would change his voice because he's trying to protect people. And that's the other way you're going to protect people. He's like, people will know my voice. I'm this famous billionaire playboy. People are going to know my voice. And so it makes sense that he would do that and i didn't i never minded the voice i never thought it was silly it really was like the first time i heard it i was kind of like whoa but it fit with everything going on because like i said the first time you see him he's scary and he's supposed to be scary because he he's supposed to scare criminals he's supposed to scare people that are not scared of anything he's supposed to be the one thing they're scared of he's supposed to be the thing that the evil people have nightmares about is supposed to be Batman. So it makes sense that his voice would be deep and kind of scary. It's trying to be scary and fearful and it's trying to be like that. You know, I mean, I wouldn't want that, you know, spoiler for the Dark Knight Rises, but as Catwoman, I'd be kind of like, okay, we're not doing the Batman voice tonight. (laughs) I don't want the Batman voice. You just be Bruce Wayne. (laughs) No Batman voice, but yeah. And I wonder, you know, because, well, Christian Bale does everything in the world to his body that there is possibly to do. So, but I do wonder, I don't think I've read anything about this. If that ever did anything to his voice or how he did that, where he didn't harm his voice. I just always wonder that I should have looked that up because, you know, he does everything else to his body. (laughs) Oh, the poor guy. Okay, well, let's get into Alfred, because even though we're celebrating Christian Bale, we still have to talk about the other characters in these universes. So Alfred, of course, is played by Michael Caine and is the butler and really the surrogate father to Batman and Bruce Wayne. Not really Batman, but more Bruce Wayne. So what do you think about Alfred overall, Carla?
2: I think, you know, he's the, the, the classic father figure in any of these superhero stories. Because it's not like superheroes generally have parents or parents who are nice or parents who are alive. So, and there's always, well, not always, but there's usually somebody to step in and take that role and to show them, you know, what, to show them like the basics of morality and all of that. And I think that's, um, that's Alfred, but, and he's continuing the, uh, the tradition that the Wayne family, the legacy of the Wayne family and Michael Caine. Like, as soon as I saw him in this role, I was like, he's perfect. Who, why would anybody else have ever been Alfred? He's just like the, he fills that role so perfectly. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I love him in it. And he really has that, that put upon but loving dad figure thing down, like that, that, that look in his eyes of, oh, son, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed you know like all these bruises here we go again (laughs) and of course he has the benefit of yeah he's he's the the butler and everything but it's it's at least for that household it's not like it's a hard job so he he has a pretty sweet gig just every now and then he has to you know like um maybe sew up a wound or whatever i wonder kind of training Alfred has by the way that he can do all of this stuff. Like did they that's pluck him point. out of out of some you know like English uh secret service where he was uh you know he, he maybe, oh, maybe he was James Bond at one point and then he retired and he didn't want to be James <laughs> Bond and he said what, can his I do? <laughs> what yes there you go I want to see Alfred's backstory I, I want to see yes. him like parachuting in on some criminals and like you know whatever the 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 1950s or 40s equivalent was of hacking a database would have been, and you know like somebody gets the wound, it's a like, quick get Alfred, he's the best stitcher in the entire you know am uh, I whatever it is am I five six seven who cares? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, I, I want to know the backstory. But yes, Michael Caine is amazing in this role.
1: That's the backstory we need for the next one. Not. Not Bruce Wayne's. We need Alfred's.
2: No more Batman movies, please. I want an Alfred movie. Well, we're getting another Batman.
1: We're getting the Batman,
2: which I'm stu- stupidly excited about. I don't care
1: what, <laughs> what anyone says. <laughs> I'm super excited about this.
2: No, I, I want. I, I I will pay money to see a the Alfred movie. Well, um, what's what's his? Why oh, am I forgetting his name. Who's playing Alfred in this one?
1: Susie, remember? Uh, Andy Serkis. Thank you. Yes. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. That sounds awesome. Still, yeah. no. If it's not a movie about Alfred's backstory, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done.
1: I can't help it. I'm stupidly excited. Catwoman is in it too. Oh,
2: I don't care. Yeah. I, am I am so ready.
1: flipping excited for this Batman it. movie. <laughs> it's the first one that looks kind of like it's in the same kind of universe as this one. So I am very, I am there for it. Plus uh, the cast is Chef's kiss. So yeah, yeah. I'm 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 all for it. I think Zoe Kravitz will be a cool Bat Catwoman to see too. So I, guess I ship Catwoman and Batman. Spoiler. Okay. So Susie, <laughs> what do you think of Alfred?
3: No, but um. So really quick, Carla will be very happy here. Um, Alfred's backstory is base is basically that he has some kind of like secret forces, like military training. So that's why he, like, knows to do all this stuff. Um, there's also, I think there's a comic book, like, little arc where he, like, single-handedly defends the mansion with a shotgun. And he's just, like, being a bamf. And it is like, mm,
2: yes, Alfred. Wow. Like, See, yeah. like, I feel like, you know, some of this o- excess In some of these movies, could have just been made so much more exciting with Alfred facing down some baddies by himself. Maybe that'll happen in
1: the Batman.
2: Oh, yes. I hope so. That'd be
1: good. Yeah, but like you can,
3: (laughs) you can especially see more of his, like more of his back. It's not worked into very much into these movies, but in the Gotham series, you do see more of that like comic backstory where he's just being a badass and Helping baby Bruce out, which is one of the reasons why I kind of I have a little bit of a like for the Gotham series because you get to see more of Alfred being more of an involved. Like, yes, show show me these skills, sir. Oh my god, I'm excited. Yes, but I like uh, Michael kane's role in in these films as kind of playing that adoptive father who has to be in charge of from what like I can kind of understand is that the Waynes other than being his employers were very dear friends of his so it is interesting to see him kind of playing that part of like okay I have to raise your kid make sure he grows up right and just do whatever I can to be there for him and you can see especially like how hard it is for him In the third movie to like have to step away and be like, I love you, but I can't watch you destroy yourself. You've done so much for the city and for everyone else and nothing like almost little of that good has come back to you. And I can't see you continue to hurt yourself. And even then, like spoiler alert in the the third, when we believe Bruce is dead and he's just grieving over his parents' graves, like, I'm so sorry, I failed you. I, I couldn't save him, I couldn't protect him, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and it's, it is very kind of, like, heartbreaking, because he has seen Bruce, he was there since Bruce's birth, and he watched him grow up, and, like, put, and, like, go through the awful pain and trauma of losing his parents right in front of him, and, and growing, and changing, and becoming this vigilante that night after night would come home, and Alfred would have to patch him up, and you can, Kind of see how, like, gradually that takes a little bit more of a weight on him each time. And he's just trying to be this mentor as best as he can, while also not completely condoning what Bruce is doing. Just being like, you know what, if you ever decide to quit, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Because you deserve to know that there are people in your life who love you and just want the best for you
1: yeah i pretty much just ditto i don't have much to add on that i think you know i mean really it's like a no-brainer like how no one thought of casting michael Caine before this is beyond me because it's really the most perfect casting out there i mean i think as far as like the most on the nose and i mean that in a good way of anybody in this series to in the dark knight trilogy and nolan's films to cast it was definitely michael Caine. it just like it wouldn't have made sense Without him, and I know Michael Caine is in is in pretty much like every Nolan movie, I think, or so he's kind of like a staple. He's kind of like in his, you know, garden of a uh, garden of actors. That sounds wrong, but I mean, like his stable of actors uh, that he uses a lot. But yeah, he's and I do think it's the most interesting parts of Alfred to me is that Alfred really doesn't want this life completely for Bruce Wayne. And I think that's very interesting to watch because a lot of people really want this. They want the Batman. They want a hero. And Alfred just wants Bruce to grow old, have kids, (laughs) and live a happy life. And so I think it's very interesting to watch that, especially in the third one. And we'll talk about that ending, of course, because I, I like how it's a gift to Alfred as well. Uh, what Bruce does. So I think it's also a gift to to him. So I really like that. Okay, so let's get to Lucius Fox, played by Morgan Freeman. So, of course, this is the man who helps build everything for Batman. And one of the only other people that eventually knows who Batman really is. Uh, it's basically just Alfred and Fox. And of course, Rachel. But, you know, people learn throughout. And
2: that random so- accountant guy.
1: Yeah, the and the yeah, you're right. <laughs> Random like, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then of course Jim Gordon in the last one, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of Fox, Carla?
2: I, I just I love any time that there's a, a character who builds cool toys and then they get to show off the cool toys like they're no big deal. Like yeah, mm-hmm. and over here we have this thing that you know shoots out daggers that. Five hundred miles per hour. It can probably like just make the sun explode or whatever. Let's move on to the next one. You know, completely nonchalant about his amazing talent and about all the cool things that he's making in this movie and in this universe. He's what like the only black person, I think. Pretty and much, yes. Pretty much, and he's only there sometimes, like in in all of these recurring characters in the trilogy he's he's notable because he's brilliant and because he's played by morgan freeman but you don't really get all that much about him otherwise and it's it's just one of those you know it feels like a typical diversity casting thing where it's like, let's get a Black person in that role, because we need a Black person, where can we have them? It can't really be a main role, but it can be a big role, but not too big a role. Eh, let's put him here. But aside from that, I do love Lucius Fox. I think he's, he's, he has a, a he's very smart, not just in, in that he can create all these amazing things, but also in that he he knows what Bruce is doing from the start. It's like this whole spelunking thing, and immediately he's like, Right. Spelunking? Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to do base jumping, dude. Base jumping. Okay, let's call it that. You know, like he's basically like rolling his eyes at Bruce the entire time. Every time he's on screen, he's kind of like, oh, "Here we go again." Yeah. But he's 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 great. He's just like a uh, a grumpy old guy who who knows everything and who, um, in his own way, is supportive of everything that's going on without actually showing it too hard because then it would be uncool for Lucius.
1: Yes. So Susie, what are your thoughts?
3: I really like his character. Like even in the comics, he's kind of known for having this kind of like golden Midas touch where he can turn like failing businesses into really successful ones and make them better again. And you do see that in like this film trilogy where he kind of takes failing weight enterprises and helps make it better and i love seeing him like making like all these gadgets for bruce and just be like, oh I, I didn't want to show off too much but there's this if you would like it you know <laughs> just wanted to show you you know just just for shields see if you liked it just see and i love how kind of like like kind of almost sarcastic and cheeky he is when he's just like oh just check the numbers again (laughs) or or, like my favorite part in the second one is when he's like you're telling me that you want to blackmail the richest man who is also your boss who you think moonlight is a vigilante like (laughs) good luck mary like (laughs) like i just like I love that when he's just being sassy and like, okay, <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> you do you boo. <laughs> I wish I had popcorn. Like like he <laughs> Like I feel yeah. like he is the person that would be like, let me grab my popcorn real quick <laughs> as I watch this go down. Like I I do love his like him being in this universe. Like it's always a joy for me to see Lucius Fox in anything because he's one of my other favorite Batman like characters. So it's, it's a real, it was, it was a lot of fun to see him pop up in, in, in these films and just be like,
4: oh, I
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, I, not much to add again, I have a feeling this is going to happen on every single one of these. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Morgan Freeman, I mean, I don't think there's anything Morgan Freeman can't do acting wise. So it's kind of like, he's, he's like one of those that makes everything look incredibly easy. I do agree with what Carla said. It is like, this is the token black character we're going to put in here so we can say we're not all white. But, you know, so other than that, it, it he's great. I mean, I like watching. I think he, I want to say, I think all of these characters play off of Christian Bale very well in different aspects. I think they have, um, I think the way Bruce Wayne And Fox interact is a very playful way. They've got this playful banter going on, like kind of like a buddy cop movie. Like I could see them together doing that. I think that would be kind of cool to see. So they have a really good interact, really good interactions. Um, You kind of see a lighter jokester side of Bruce Wayne, which you see throughout. I want to mention that there's kind of this lightness to him in a way like he kind of jokes a little bit. He's not all, you know, gruff the whole time. Uh, sorry, I just had to do the voice one more time. Um, <laughs> so I really like watching them together. And I think that's just a thing with with Christian Bale in general, is I think he's like, he's not a selfish actor. So he's very much going to go off of whatever you're giving him. And like, I know he was recently asked, well, what do you think about Robert Pattinson taking on the role of Batman, I'm sure they were hoping to get some kind of juicy take. And he's like, oh, he's great. He's wonderful. He's an amazing person. I think he'll do great kind of thing. And like, you didn't get what you were hoping you would get. But (laughs) because I think he's just not that kind of actor. He doesn't give a crap about that status crap. So, which is one of the reasons he's our unofficial mascot. Okay. So I want to talk about Rachel. Played in the first one by Katie Holmes. Was she necessary, Carla?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... No, no. And in fact, her presence only added to the runtime of the movie, to be honest. <laughs> like, it, it's it's just, but it's, you, you do kind of need a um, a foil for, for Batman. You need somebody who is going to tell him, no, this is, you're not doing this for the right reasons. Because Alfred isn't really telling him that. He's telling him, no, my son, don't get hurt. Like that's his whole line, which is understandable, and it's it has its own um, it serves its own purpose, which is very important. But he does need somebody to to tell him, look, you think you're doing all of these good things, but you're just being a bitter little baby about things. Just you know, if you if you want to do good, do good for the sake of doing good, not because it also furthers your agenda, which he really needed to hear, and I think he took it to heart, and it uh, really help to drive a lot of his motivation from that point on in the story throughout the trilogy. But other than that, she's just there to be the love interest, you know, to be the damsel in distress. And it's so frustrating because not only, okay, so we've already discussed the whiteness of this movie. Let's talk about the maleness of this movie in that pretty much everybody else is a dude. You know, it's not until you get to the third movie in the trilogy that you have a woman who is not a damsel in distress who is uh you know a butt kicker in her own right and even then it's like mostly you know there's still vestiges of that that whole well she's a woman and therefore oh my gosh she has to have to be the love interest also but that's mostly what Rachel Dawes is there for and um I, I wanted to like her more, and it's not Katie Holmes's fault that I couldn't. It's just she does end up being a, a pretty one-dimensional, single-purpose character in this movie. Yeah,
3: Susie. Not to be mean to Rachel, but she's kind of like white bread. Like, there's
4: not much there. Like,
3: <laughs> there's very little substance to her, and she's she's basically just kind of like this placeholder and just kind of like this unobtainable person that was created for Batman in the Nolanverse to, to like someone to even to have up on a pedestal, even after her spoiler alert death. And it's just kind of like, I feel like the space that she occupied could have been occupied by like maybe making her more fleshed out and making her more interesting give us more to care about and just and or like why does it even have to be romantic you could even like it might have been fun to maybe in her place to introduce one of the robins and have that going on to like see how batman deals with like coming into being a vigilante and also probably having to mentor another one or grow to like accept and or grow to like learning how to become a mentor himself just like i i just don't think her character was very well utilized like ever throughout her run in the movies unfortunately and i think that's Mm -hmm. such a waste because they could have done so much more and so much better with her
1: yeah no i i agree and and i want to say i think there is zilch chemistry between christian bale and katie holmes and it's not a fault to either one of them as actors although I do not think Katie Holmes is very good in this movie I want to say no offense I she will always be Joey to me from Dawson's Creek and you know I feel for her because she got caught up in the whole you know Scientology crap thing but now I know because she's a free woman but <laughs> but I I it just didn't they don't have chemistry because to me it was like watching like you know they have an age difference, number one, in real life, and they were trying to make it that they didn't have an age difference. But you can clearly tell that Bruce Wayne is a lot older than Rachel. I mean, not in, not when Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal comes aboard, but in the, fir- the this first one, you can tell. And I'm wondering if that's part of the reason they recast her because it, they had zilch chemistry. I was it was like watching like. The least sexiest couple you could ever watch on screen. And these are two very attractive human beings. And there's nothing there. It's, you know, it's like one of the few times where I don't like watching Christian Bale alongside another actor. And plus, I I kept feeling like Katie Holmes, for her part, felt a little overwhelmed with the role. Or overwhelmed with the pressure. Or, I don't know, I felt like she was trying really hard. And I don't mean to knock her so much. It just really, it's very glaring the difference in her performance as opposed to everybody else when you're really looking at them. So I I just, I feel for her in a way. I feel for Katie Holmes because I think she was given nothing here, nothing, less than nothing. She's given like a, you know, a person who you know, wants to become a lawyer because she wants to serve justice. You know, that's what she's about. She's not about becoming a lawyer to have money. She's about becoming a lawyer to help Gotham because she loves Gotham. And she didn't grow up rich. And so she's like kind of supposed to be more of the working class people. So she's supposed to serve that purpose, but she's so thinly written that there's nothing there. So I feel for both the actresses that had to play this role because they're given nothing to do, nothing, except for, I mean, we'll talk about it when we talk about the Dark Knight, except for serve as a purpose for man pain. And that's it. That's her only role is, is to motivate men to do something. That's what she is there for. She's not there to help herself, nothing. She's there to help Bruce Wayne really end up becoming Batman. She's the one who pushes him to leave and to not, you know, she's kind of the one who's kind of catapults him into that. And then in The Dark Knight, she serves as what causes Harvey Dent to briefly become Two-Face and also pushes Bruce Wayne to not want to be Batman anymore and go into this deep depression in the third one. So it's like she has no real agency. She's just the way a lot of women are written in a lot of these movies, frankly, and still are. Marvel, you're not 100% hundred percent okay on this. I want to just say, hello.
2: They're not even Avengers. like fifty-four percent. Yeah. Okay uh, on this.
1: Yes. I mean, hello, Black Widow, and what you did to Black Widow in in game. I mean, hello for for stupid Hawkeye. I mean, come on. Anyway, <laughs> it's it's just it's just yeah. She's just pointless. She could be written out, and you wouldn't even know she was gone. that's how pointless she is so okay so let's talk about jim gordon the police chief jim gordon played by uh gary oldman uh so carla
2: (laughs) sorry he was great no he was great i i love him i've always loved that character and you know even before the these movies i i just like the idea of somebody who's really out there trying to do the right thing and who really believes in what he's doing and it's a genuinely, genuinely good soul. And I think Gary Oldman did a great job as, as, as Gordon. I, I really, he really does have, I keep saying really. That might be my, my New Year's resolution is to stop saying really. <laughs> I really, really think I can do it. I really, really think I can make this work in 2022. <laughs> to stop saying really so much. So Jim Gordon is great. I love him a lot. This is really hard. Oh, God, I did it again.
1: It's like me trying not to say awesome.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um And he, he definitely serves the story well. He's everything that I think Bruce wants to see for the city because Gotham, just like any other City deserves somebody who is looking out for the people, and that doesn't happen often enough, especially in policing. And uh, Jim Gordon is kind of, you know, if you have any um, like for the idea of policing, you want it to be somebody like like Gordon to a point, because even Gordon isn't really thinking about, you know, what is driving these people to become criminals. He's just about catching them anyway love him.
1: the end and Susie, your thoughts on jim gordon who uh, i'll just say really quickly jeffrey wright is playing jim gordon in the batman so
3: okay oh <laughs> jim gordon all bless him that that this poor beleaguered man he's just trying his best to work against a corrupt system <laughs> he is truly pushing the boulder up a hill by himself with occasional battering help from Batman Mm -hmm. like Batman is very much the example of like working outside the system to exact change and Jim is very much trying to work inside the system as best as he can and being like yeah listen I got a judge lined up I got I got a DA I got I got warrants I'm ready put me to use and his commissioner's like, Num. you'll never know what it's like to be commissioner. He's like, put me in, coach, I'm ready. He's he's very much like, oh bless his this poor soul, just trying to do what he can, comfort this poor orphan child, and then come become an accomplice to this vigilante orphan child in the future. Like, oh, he's trying his darnest. And you you just gotta you just gotta love him for that. Cause even though he's surrounded by so much corruption and like so much bad he he tries his best to enact as much change and justice as he can from from whichever way that he can and you're just like oh jim you 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 sweet summer child sweet summer child (laughs) this will end badly but i'm rooting for you buddy you can do it (laughs) yeah
1: Bless his heart as mouse. Yeah. Is. Yeah.
3: I just wanna I just wanna he needs a cup of coffee and a nap, like him and Batman do honestly. Like all the criminals in Gotham need to like collectively get together and be like, Okay guys, this is we're gonna take a break for like one or two days so that these poor men can get some sleep because Jesus Christ. <laughs> like I can imagine some alternate universe where the villains are like, dang, they look really tired maybe we all take a collective vacation
4: because this
2: is getting kind of cruel even for us. I like that. I like that idea.
1: A collective vacation. <laughs> vacation all ever. Sorry, I'm Why just thinking is- that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like Jim Borden. I mean, I, I think having... um. Having Gary Oldman play this role was also one of those that you wouldn't necessarily expect, I think, uh, because it's a lot more um, uh, grounded than a lot of his other roles are. So I think it was also an interesting casting choice because you wouldn't necessarily cast Gary Oldman in this role right away. And I think he does a really good job. Um, I think... I love that he eventually learns who Batman is because he kind of deserved to know. I think he deserved to know way before then, but he really deserved to know because he was on Batman's side when nobody was on Batman's side in you know, law and everything like that um, because they don't want a vigilante. And he took the help of Batman and saw what Batman was trying to do and saw the goodness there. So that's why he really deserved to know. So yeah, he definitely pushing that boulder up the hill is the best way to describe him because he's doing that throughout and he keeps pushing and keeps pushing and he never gives up, never gives up. And he had every reason to just quit (laughs) and be like, forget this, screw this city. Plus he's not appreciated by anyone. People treat him like garbage. So it's like he had every right to just quit and he doesn't, you know?
2: Oh my God. I just, I think about the poor man and I'm like, he deserves so much better
1: yes
3: a lot. honestly better. Robin is the only one who appreciates his
1: like mentorship and I'm like thank you Jesus Christ, finally someone respects yeah. him and unfortunately I had to be that ca- sorry I don't like that character at all so I'm sorry
2: <laughs> wow, I, didn't even have wow. I don't
1: even have him on the outline
2: <laughs> I don't even care about Robin screw him
1: I've never liked that character I'm sorry I just don't I don't know <laughs>
2: Breaking, I- Aaron hates orphans.
1: <laughs> well, I-, I love Bruce Wayne.
2: <laughs> Breaking, um Aaron hates poor orphans.
1: <laughs> I need you say that. I <laughs> <laughs> sound really awful. I only like the rich orphans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> if you just tuned in. Uh... <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, there are other villains. There's Raz Ogul, which I didn't even put Raz Ogul on this outline, I will be frank, because he bores the crap out of me. So I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I want to talk about Scarecrow because I love Scarecrow. And I love Scarecrow because I think Scarecrow is actually really kind of scary. scarecrow does honestly um and played by the amazing cillian murphy who is incredible and this is the only villain by the way that's in every single batman movie in the trilogy just let you know (laughs) uh so what do you think about scarecrow carla
2: i think let's first talk about the fact that Killian murphy at his absolute peak in hotness
1: Oh yeah! Let, let, oh, let's yeah. just take
2: a moment to appreciate his absolute beauty. <laughs> ooh,
1: that man is gorgeous. Oh yeah, that is a pretty, pretty, pretty person.
2: It.
3: He was he was zaddy AF in the third one with that like like unshaved face and the and the weird like tufted shoulder pad jacket he had going on. I was like, <laughs> about it, I was like, ooh, okay. He's now hot, I just <laughs> I
2: really I loved him with the glasses and with the Me too. you know the the haughty attitude of just like. Oh, I'm very important. And who are you, Rachel Dawes, whose name I only know incidentally? I just, oh, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I was always like, yes, yes, sure, okay. Don't, don't, don't put on that that scarecrow mask. Don't, don't hide your your beauty. You can be, you know, just like I'll, I'll inhale the fumes if you want, but just don't put the mask on. <sighs> Sorry, I need a moment. I need a moment. Anyway.
4: No, he's sexy is as hell, man. He is he's sexy so as hell. He
2: really is. <laughs> like, damn. But it, the Scarecrow really is terrifying because it, uh, it's something that he, he uses something to take over your mind. And it's one thing if, you know, if, if a villain comes and, like, fights you. Like, yeah, that sucks. But somebody who, it, it, it's so invasive and so intrusive and it's such a, an intimate way of bringing you down. You know, to use your own mind against you, he, he really is a fascinating. Hmm, damn it, they did it again. He truly is a fascinating villain. <laughs> Sincerely, I think he is.
4: Sincerely, Truthfully, honestly, quite
2: honestly. <laughs> honestly, fascinating. And I, I would not want to run up against him, except carnally.
1: I was just gonna say. I think there is a way.
2: There's one way in which I would like to run up against him, and it's definitely not in the um, fighting realm.
1: Yeah, he's just, oh, and I want to give a quick shout out to the movie Red Eye by Wes Craven with Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy. And holy crap, I love that movie so much. So just a shout out to that one. And he's really good at playing a bad guy, (laughs) which means he's probably an absolute sweetheart in real life. So (laughs) so, That's how it works. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so, Susie, what are your thoughts on Scarecrow? Did I fall in love
3: with this scraggly burlapped man? Yes, I did. <laughs> uh huh. Um, yeah, I think I myself need to be committed in Arkham because the thirst is unreal. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, Doctor, I feel unwell. I have the vapors. <laughs> No, but, oh, God, it's just the the eyes and that hair. Again, it falls into that thing, like, of my
1: category of having the
3: the good eyes and the dark hair. I'm like, "Mm."
1: Susie and I, we, yeah. You got (laughs) me.
3: Dang. (laughs) Swear swear to goodness. But I think out of all of Batman's villains, like, yeah, the Joker is most iconic due to his, like, unhinged nature and just sheer, like, but the scarecrow is just he's so effective with how terrifying he is, because mm-hmm. with just a simple cocktail of drugs, he is able to pull your worst fears from your mind and turn them against you. And one of I think that one thing that really highlights the effective use of the Batman voice in this film is when he gets his own drugs used against him and he sees Batman as this demon who is just like spewing like tar or something from his lips. And he hears the voice all distorted and weird. And it's like, oh, yeah. So and like when you see it from that perspective, you're like, oh, yeah, so this is the effect that this voice would have be villains even if it's not in this like distorted eerie manner you can still kind of like kind of gauge or get a feel for like how that would be like unsettling and just like oh my god oh oh my god no i would not want to meet either of them in a dark alley either way it is unsettling <laughs> But just the way that is, he's like, "Yeah, I know I'm the best. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm I'm like the head doctor at Arkham. I can do my little experiments, and no one can do anything about it. I'm gonna turn the whole city insane by putting my chemicals in the water, and it's gonna tear itself apart." And you're like, "Oh my god,
4: this man,
3: <laughs> why is this? <laughs> this is." Goodness gracious,
2: but is it also kind of hot as well? Like... <laughs> I was gonna say like, he's a cocky, sexy little. Like even in the yes. second
1: one, he's mm. like the cockiness yes, continues because yeah.
3: he's like, "I told you my drugs would take you places. Didn't say you'd be where you'd want to go." Or even in the third Love one, he's him. like, mm, so "Do you want to like die, or do you want to be sent to death or exile? Death. Okay, death by exile. Boom." <laughs> <laughs> Like, this man just, like, revels in his e- evilness. And mm. it is just great in a really odd way. <laughs> like, ah! Yeah. Uh, again, another sassy bitch. Like, yes, give me all of the sassy bitches.
1: I'm here for it. Yeah, that's, I mean, one thing I will say is, I. this is the one character that I wanted so much more of throughout, because he's so good. And even the way he says the batman even the way he says the batman is amazing i mean even just the way he says it is different than the way anyone else says it and yeah the scene when his stuff gets used on him and that is a terrifying scene a batman is scary like that that is a really scary scene and yeah all that stuff he uses is really kind of terrifying when you see everybody's fears And, you know, that's, that's what, just to let you know, and I'll let you know what all the other ones are. um, Christopher Nolan said that each one of these had a meaning, sorry for the noise there, and a theme. And for Batman Begins, the theme is fear, which makes sense. And so, you know, the Scarecrow represents that. And I really think we needed more Scarecrow, frankly. And until Heath Ledger came along, and until Heath Ledger's Joker I was actually kind of disappointed at first when I heard he wasn't going to return as like a real main main villain in the second one because he was so good and fun to watch and he's such a good actor that it's like he can just do anything and I love the way he plays off of Batman and the way there's like this weird kind of like and a lot of the villains I think are like this in in this universe but he kind of has this weird admiration for Batman in a way. And like, that's why it'd be interesting to see an enemy to lovers with them, which I'd never thought of before, because there is this weird kind of thing with them, this push pull, especially with the scarecrow is I think there's a part of him that kind of wants to be pl- working with Batman in this
2: weird sort of way, especially in the second one. I think yeah. You see I was going to say, yeah. When he's like, we were helping you. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of looks offended that Batman isn't pleased with him. Like, um, hi, Bestie.
1: Yep. Exactly. <laughs>
3: no. What cracks me up is like he's like, I don't need any help. And like Scarecrow's just like, not my diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> <He does. laughs>
2: I love your interpretation of Scarecrow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: yeah he's great and this is not a villain that you really saw explored at any of the other Batman universes so I think that's another reason why the character is so special because this is really your main interpretation you've seen and it's so good and sexy yes like we've all said whew. I mean everybody already knows black hair just is my absolute weakness all I had to do was like have a lot more eyeliner on and I, I just <laughs> <laughs> I would have melted in my seat <laughs> Susie, Susie and I have the same thing. It's like, it <laughs> melt away. Um, but yeah, he's so, he's so good. He's just so, so dang good. One of the best villains ever in a comic book movie. He deserves his own movie. I will say, especially when I was rewatching, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how dang good he is. Cause I hadn't seen these movies in quite a while. And I'm like, yes, he is so flipping good. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible. So for time's sake, we're going to end there with Batman Begins. Um, I know there are other villains we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the mob, and but that's boring. <laughs> Frankly, I, I think it's kind of boring. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Maybe you really wanted to hear us talk about Falcone yeah. the, and all that crap. The I mob thing is
3: only for like really hardcore fans. I don't think we need to like really go into it too much. Yeah, no. Just, you
2: know,
1: the mob was there and they did their thing. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mob bad. Yeah. That and and I didn't good. really
1: care about Liam Neeson to be frank. I, I, you know, so we don't need to, we, we mentioned it before when we talked about the training montages,
0: <laughs> the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family
1: uh, okay, so let's move into The Dark Knight, which is considered by many, and we'll get at the end, we're going to rank these, so it'll be in the second part if you're just listening to the podcast episode. But this is considered to be, by some, a masterpiece of a film. It's considered by some to be the best Batman movie ever made. It's considered by some to be, of course, the best best in the series. We're going to get into how this film helped change the rules of the Academy Honestly, this is the film that helped change that role in the Academy. So we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about where we're where we find Batman. And of course, we're going to talk about Joker. We're saving that for last because, you know, we have to we have to devote extra time, a little bit extra time to that, I think, because of Heath. But let's talk about where we find Batman now and Bruce Wayne now, Carla.
2: Well, I, at this point, you know, I. Um... And at the end of the first film, Gordon has pointed him towards this rando who leaves the calling card and it's the Joker, which was fascinating, by the way, that, you know, because it leaves so much speculation in the air as you're leaving the theater after watching the first one of, oh, I wonder if they're going to cast as the Joker. I can't wait to see who it's going to be. Like the Joker is my favorite. Oh, I don't like the Joker. Whatever your feelings on the Joker are, it just leaves you really excited for the sequel. And here's the sequel, and Batman is, a, is in a place where he is he's in a good rhythm. You know, like he's doing his Batman thing and Bruce is doing his Bruce thing um, playing the air-headed billionaire playboy and now he's also kind of he's pining after Rachel, but doesn't really own up to it. You know, he, he's kind of like secretly pining for her and so it, it's, it's, of all of the the points in Bruce Wayne slash Batman's existence, this is the, the, the highest point for him, really, because he still has hope. <laughs> he, he's, he's um, things are working out, you know, like it, it's difficult. And anytime that you start weeding out bad guys, more bad guys will come in to try and kind of take over and try to, one-up you more which is exactly what gordon had hinted at at the end of the first movie that anytime that you raise the stakes the biogas will raise the stakes to keep up and i really think that because he is kind of coasting on his success this is where he under underestimates the joker he underestimates him a lot and he's still very much in that um Russell's mentality where he thinks he knows everything he thinks that he's like five steps ahead of everybody else. He thinks that he's going to get the Joker eventually. He treats him as like a, as a side thing. It's like, "Oh, no big deal, I'll get to him eventually." But he's completely underestimating him. And it's when he has an exchange with Alfred where he tells Alfred the thing that Russell gold told him that criminals are very simple, you know, you just have to get to um what they want and then you can just get them. He thinks that that's, that's all it's going to be. He thinks I've got this under control. And Alfred then tells him the story about how, well, you know, there's one guy that we went after this one time, and he he's just, he he was just after chaos. And even though he kind of listens to what Alfred is saying, it still doesn't, it still like, misses him. Because it's not until like towards the end of the movie that, he, that he's like, right, the chaos, that's this whole thing. Like yes, if you have been paying attention all along, you would have seen this. But he's busy; he's busy making these appearances and um, trying to kind of st- still get Rachel's attention, even though Rachel is now with Harvey Dent. Um, so it's an interesting time to be the Batfellow.
1: The Batfellow, yes. The uh, Batfellow. <laughs> Just gonna. That is the English version. The Batfellow. The Batfellow. The Batfellow. So, Susie, your thoughts on where Batman and Bruce Wayne are right now? So I think
3: the Dark Knight probably takes place maybe like a year after the first movie. Probably. Maybe. I'm Like that's how I, I always know. thought. That's how I always thought of the timeline as in my head at least. I thought, because I thought it was I know... the
2: three. Oh
3: three, three years? years. Well, three years? Oh see because I always Yeah because always... it was
2: three years between the first movie's release and, and the second and it just felt to mm-hmm. me like it was about like Roughly that same time in the the Nolan universe.
3: Oh, see, well, like my, I mean, well, my thought, well, my personal thought process is I always thought it was like a year after the first one in movieverse, because I think Alfred tells him, "Hey, uh, you can swap." from when Wayne ran <laughs> when Wayne Manor is rebuilt you can not sleep there instead of not sleeping in the penthouse and in my head, I'm always like, oh, so they're still like building the manors so probably a year. Again, I don't have like a good idea how long construction for stuff takes. So this was my best guess, personally.
1: And since we, we saw, almost
2: going with scale, it's like, yeah, small that, house. It's this, so- yeah <laughs> that would, take, that
1: would, that would take make a As someone who's yeah, working in real know. estate, that would take a long time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a house is that. You'd run into issues with weather, you'd run into would issues take a with manner. permits, you run into
2: issues the with damn
1: contractors. Yes, the day, yes, all man contractors are no disrespect
2: to contractors,
1: yes, no disrespect. But I mean, do you you think Batman has trouble with Scarecrow and the Joker? Try picking out tiling tiling for the kitchen, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: like in that
3: case, for picking like wallpaper and and tiling and floors, do you think Bruce did it himself, or did he just tell off? Make that house however you want to do it. However you like it, sweetie, Is going to be great. I'll just be over here doing vigilante stuff. You take care of the house. <laughs> doing vigilante stuff. <laughs> like, Alfred has, like, a whole Pinterest thing set up. Like, okay, this is what the seating room is going to look like. The drawing room. The, <laughs> the antiquities room. The stuff. The room of things that Bruce buys but never does anything with. The room. <laughs> Cause you know he has to keep up that Playboy persona of just like buying dumb things yes. and being like, I, like I what is this statue? The the Venus? I'll take it. <laughs> Sir, it's yeah. not still. I don't care, give it to me. <laughs>
1: His secret Beanie Baby collection. The secret beanie secret baby. <laughs> <laughs> I found a Sorry. strawberry bear. It's mine. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> where that came from, but <laughs> mug collection to, for, for all his teas. Oh, oh yeah, because he drinks so much tea. <laughs> yep. He has one with himself on it too. Yeah. He has, <laughs> he, has he has a Batman mug, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm being very clever with this one. <laughs> he takes it
3: into like Wayne into like Wayne Enterprise one day when he has to go in, and he's like, oh, this, <laughs> it's my mug. I'm a Batman fan. Just pay me no mind. <laughs> <laughs> My very powerful friend. <laughs> so he refers to himself. And that just kills me. Like, dang you really just mmm. Alright. <laughs> a... That reminds me of like a headcanon yeah. someone once made where like the reason why he protects his identity as Bruce Wayne is because he made up the rumor that he's dating Batman. (laughs) And he's like, that's why we're never in the same place at once. You know, we're always off doing things together. That's why we're so close and we look so much alike because we're dating each other.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
3: (laughs) It's so funny. Anyway.
2: Aaron does not like that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) is like, you don't have to say, (laughs) but Um, It is interesting
3: to see how he has become like a little bit like his, let's say it's a year, three years. It's been some time. We'll say that since the first one, since his kind of debut into society as Batman. Um, (laughs) And you see him, he does have a little bit more experience, but the thing that like, what it's interesting about his interactions with Joker is that he really underestimates him because in his head, No one can be that unhinged. And in reality, the Joker is kind of a little bit more of a secondary problem because what we see in this movie is that his main focus is kind of more geared towards getting the mob bosses like jailed up. And that's kind of like, he's working with Gordon. He's like, I gave you these bills so you know where they're taking the money. Like these are the banks that they're going to hit and this is what they're going to do. And only when, the Joker kind of escalates more than does he realize, like, oh, oh, crap, this is, I need to take him, like, seriously, because he's not gonna let up. And even, like, I think even Alfred kind of knows how, like, serious of a threat he is when he tells him the story about the thief that he came across in in Burma, and he's like, this guy was just robbing things, and because some men just want to see the world burn and it's it is kind of like yeah because this guy he's just like like I think they even say it in the movie he's a dog chasing cars so it is interesting to see him kind of try to like level up and even do things that kind of become really questionable like when he starts hacking everyone's phones in Gotham to try to get a, a lock on Joker and even Lucius tells him, like, if you're going to do this, I can't. Like, this isn't a complete invasion of people's privacy. And this is not okay. And you're going completely over the line. And even Bruce is like, all right, um, if you if you want to help me with this, great. Um, if this is your last straw, that's fine. I, like, I need to get this guy. And it is that, that thing of him being an unstoppable force trying to m- meet an uh, What is it? Movable object, the thing where it's like he's the rock and Joker is just like running at him full speed, and he's trying to like just gear himself up and be ready to like take the hit and like stop him however he can, non lethally. Which in most ways, kind of the thing with Batman's non lethality is that most times it often works against him, unfortunately.
1: Yeah,
3: you see that very evident in the the film. if you can kill, kill. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> totally Whoa, hot text with Aaron tonight.
1: It was... It was self-defense. <laughs> if you're gonna be a vigilante, be Dexter. Don't be Batman. Yeah, he's I'm kidding. kidding. Like, yeah, like... Be a Jason Todd. Jason,
3: yeah. <sighs> yeah, like... Like... Spoiler alert, you're killing rachel is kind of almost very similar to the jason todd storyline where one of his robins gets seemingly killed by the joker and batman still continues to be like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kill myself because that's not right and you're you're reading this or watching this if you watch one of the animated movies and you're like dude this guy has already proven that he can't be saved you can't do anything like he is up like, the epitome of evil and you're just like no nah, i'm gonna deal with this like non lethally and you're like that's not like i know that that's what you want to do but that's not not in this case man you just gotta Neutralize the threat, and like, like uh, and uh, it's, that's like one of my issues with the whole like Batman Joker thing. I'm like, uh,
4: you, you could just, he's right there, you could just,
3: you could just, it's done. One hit, KO, no, okay, fine. Ugh, we're gonna drag this
1: on out till the end of time, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think I have much to add. See, this is just going to keep happening. Um, I, you know, I I think Batman is very cocky. (laughs) That's Batman's downfall a lot of times, I think, is his cockiness. Um, He's very sure that he understands the criminal underworld. He thinks he understands it. And Joker totally upends everything he thought he understood because Joker doesn't care about money. Joker doesn't care about any of that stuff. Joker just cares about chaos. And, you know, I mean, Joker burns a whole stack of money. I mean, Joker does not, is not in it for that. That's not what he's about. Um, And so I think for Batman, I think that's why Joker has always been sort of the huge arch nemesis of Batman, because Joker is someone that I think it's really hard for Batman to figure out. And so in this one, you've got Batman is so sure of himself and thinks he knows what he's doing and everything gets put into question in this. And it kind of throws it into what happens in the final film, you know, where he's really lost in grief. And plus, you know, in this in the beginning of this, he's very self-assured. I think there's a part of him that even though he doesn't outright say it, I think there's a part of him that always thinks he's going to end up with Rachel and Rachel very obviously is in love with Harvey Dent in this movie. And I think for this goes to cockiness again, and it's the cockiness of Bruce Wayne is he's like, oh, well, I can get any girl I want. And Rachel's always been in love with me and I've always been in love with her. So it'll just take some time and she'll eventually be with me. And he doesn't realize and doesn't realize until the third one that 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 he lost her a long time ago. And he lost that right to her. And so I think for him, it's that it's the rich boy syndrome thing where he's like, well, I can get anything I want. So I'll eventually get her. So he's just kind of, I like him, but he's very cocky. He's very, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm the Batman. And he very much plays into his hero image. Um, which is why I think it would be funny if he did have a mug that was did have Batman on it. I could actually see him doing it, you know, it's that that same kind of thing, even though there are times when he's, you know, like the dinner party scene and he's talking about, well, anyone who would dress up in that costume, you know, has to be a little bit crazy kind of thing, you know. Um, so he does those things, but I think he's that it, I think even that plays into the cockiness there, and I think what Joker does is kind of just knock him down about 20,000 pegs. And that's sort of to Joker's role as far as how he affects the rest of Batman through the rest of this trilogy. So I, I, it's just very interesting watching. And, and I think, you know, um, as always, Christian Bale gives 110,000%. So I, I think he's having a ton of fun doing this. So I think it's interesting to, to to watch that and to watch him really be completely immersed in this role. Uh, yeah. So I, th- I think, I think it's great. Okay. So in this movie, Rachel is recast and she is now played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, the older sister of Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> uh, in another thankless role, but she is in here <laughs> and she's dating Harvey Dent, the district attorney. And, she knows, of course, who Bruce Wayne really is. She knows who Batman is, all that stuff. And she ends up being murdered by the Joker for man pain, really. There's no other reason that she dies. Um, so what do you think about Rachel, Carla? Is she still just
2: as useless as she was in the first <laughs> <year>? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's... it, it, it It's... Okay, Maggie Gyllenhaal really elevates the role, I think. Um, she makes her more three dimensional because Katie Holmes, I as much as I I liked Rachel just fine in the first movie. I thought you know she seems like a nice girl. She seems like she knows what she wants and she wants to do good things for the city. She knows Bruce and she's not afraid to talk to him as somebody who knows him and is not um, intimidated by any of by his status or by anything about him. But Maggie Gyllenhaal has more of a sarcastic edge to, to her interpretation of Rachel Dawes. And I really appreciated that because it gave the role more teeth, um, which I think was something that was lacking in the first movie with uh, Katie Holmes's per- performance. And the recasting, from what I understand, is because Katie Holmes at the time wanted to explore other roles. And um, so she wasn't going to come back. It wasn't anything acrimonious or... Uh, difference of, of you know artistic differences or anything. It's just she wanted to explore other stuff, and Maggie Gyllenhaal st- Gyllenhaal stepped up. And like you said, it's a thankless role because really Rachel is inconsequential consequential other than being the romantic focus for now two men. That's where she gets her you know her expanded role. It's like now it's two men vying for her att- attention, and in all of this, you know Harvey Dent is completely ignorant to the fact that. That there is something between um, Rachel and Bruce, yeah, I mean it, it's it's just really sad that this character is even there, but it just for um, for the sake of a heteronormative pairing, where she is inconsequential to the story on on the whole, because again, she could have not been in it at all and would have been the same result. There were other ways to drive Harvey Dent into you know, the choices that he made eventually that didn't involve killing off a woman. But that's, you know, here we are in storytelling in um, big media. That's usually what you get women as mm-hmm. vapid catalysts. But like I said, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Hall, I think, did more with the role than Katie did. Kitty Holmes did even though there wasn't much to it and her death just really made me mad more than anything it, it made me you know in the story you if you're getting lost in it like I did you know you do feel sad for her and for for Harvey and for for Bruce but yeah, like outside of it it's just sad that here we go again with more man pain yep, yep and Susie.
3: I am never going to be happy that women are killed for just to bring pain to men or just to like become this figure to be put on a pedestal by men because both Harvey and Bruce do this to her. They put her on this pedestal and, and it's like, and okay. This is an odd question. Has anyone ever thought about like the HR nightmare that this relationship would be? Because Harvey is Rachel's boss. That's very true. And he's yeah, dating her. Yeah. There is very, like, power imbalance. Like, even if he, he lost the coin toss, would she yeah. still have been allowed to say no? Or would he just keep pounding her until she'd been like, fine. I'll go on a date with you. Like, it's just, mm, that always just kind of bugged me. Even, like, wait, like, he's her boss, right? And, like, from what Mm -hmm. the sense that I get is that she's been in Gotham a lot longer than he has. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was already working her way up to DA. Why wasn't she DA? Why wasn't she, like, the DA before him?
1: She'd be a woman. She'd be a woman.
3: (laughs) It just... She'd be a woman. It's just, like... Uh, and also the whole okay so in the comics the way that harvey den becomes two-faced is that at a mob boss trial they throw acid on him as like retaliation you could have done this instead of the dumb gun scene and like then have him be like oh, i believed in the system now the system has failed or like something dumb and like have hit show his thing to two-face other than just like killing off a woman for man pain like what in the dickens like yeah we see her get like a little bit more a little bit more like character like she's a little bit more sassy in this one again with the whole sassy thing but it's true she's she's a little bit more like in your faceness when she talks to the Joker and she's like, okay, enough, you're not going to start hurting people in here. What do you want? Like, what's your deal? And it's just, like, she's such, oh, she's so, like, her character is just so, like, wasted in these films. Like, let's even forget about the romantic aspect. Like, why even have a romantic aspect at all? Why not just make her like an an adoptive sister to Bruce whose family is there for him after his parents death along with Alfred you know and instead of like the endless training montages maybe we get like a little bit more of like seeing what she's doing in Gotham how she's like rising up in in the lawyer ranks and instead of her being like a having this weird like Harvey Dent Bruce and her love triangle, maybe have it be like, hey bro, so like I'm I'm dating this DA. Uh, what do you think about him? And he's like, I don't know, man. He seems like a little bit, a little bit weird, but if you like him, I'll suss him out and see what's up. And then maybe have the whole thing where like he intimidates Harvey and like, are you gonna treat my adoptive sister right? Because if not, I'm gonna have my powerful friend mess you up. <laughs> Or like something My powerful boyfriend and, and just having her just be like, Oh Bruce, don't be silly.
4: <laughs>
3: or something like there yeah. like, so many more better things could have been done with your character other than just killing her off her man pain. It just it all just makes me so mad and disappointed and
4: just ugh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just for Harvey Dent's man pain. It wasn't just to turn Harvey Dent into Two-Face. It was also to motivate everything that happens with Bruce Wayne and Batman, um, especially in The Dark Knight Rises. So it's not it's just for a lot of man pain. And, you know, as far as like turning Harvey Dent into Two-Face, which frankly didn't even need to be in this movie either. I will be frank. We're going to get to him in a second. But frankly, didn't need to be in here. And I love Aaron Eckhart. I think he's a very underappreciated actor, but still didn't need to be in it. Uh, but you could have easily had. It would have been interesting if you were going to have Rachel in here, to because Maggie Gyllenhaal is such a really is a really great actress and really gifted and very talented and very interesting to watch. And if you, we could have shown her dealing with watching this man she loves be turned into this evil villain. And that would question everything she believes in, too. So that would have been a very interesting thing. And if you would have just had her be friends with Bruce, um, turning to Bruce as a friend, and then having to deal with the fact that Batman is trying to get her boyfriend, that kind of thing. And having to deal with that friendship and testing that friendship and the loyalty and seeing where maybe she goes. And does she become bad? Or does she not? Or what happens with her? And just more stuff like that would have been really more interesting to see. And Maggie Gyllenhaal definitely could have handled that. Uh, So instead, you know, it it always kind of surprises me every time I see Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal in this movie, because I think of her as not doing roles like this that are so thankless. And so it's just, it is, it's just kind of sad. And, uh, um, and once again, (laughs) She has zilch chemistry with Christian Bale, too. I don't know what it is with the women they cast, in, except for sort of Catwoman. Um, but except it, the women that they cast in this movie, like, don't really have very good chemistry with him. And it's not Christian well, Bale's I, fault, I don't think.
2: <laughs> no, I, what I think, the, the lack of chemistry is because... I think it's because of where Batman is in his life, or Bruce Wayne is in his life, that he's yeah. not really... He, you know, he he wants to keep Rachel by his side as an option, not because he's ready to exercise that option, but because he doesn't want to let go of the opportunity. And yeah. like he he's kind of surprised that that she finds somebody else, because it's like, what I'm ready right here. But it, it it to me it, it just hi- kind of highlights his um his how self involved and conceited he is um that. He really thinks that, oh, well, she's going to wait around for me, right? I mean, like, she told me that once I'm done with Batman stuff, that she'll be there. So there doesn't really need to be chemistry. There just needs to be, like, a relationship and a possession.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It just bothers me because I think to even have any kind of rooting thing for them to be romantic in any way. Because I think you're supposed to kind of decide who you want her to be with, too. And so, to me, if there's no chemistry there, I, I don't care.
2: <laughs> and, yeah, but and I, frankly, I think she that's... doesn't have
1: chemistry with Harvey Dent either. I want to say, frankly, no. And I think that just goes to her being thinly written. But
2: no, I agree. It, it is because it is in part because she's a thinly written character. But I just really think that, you know, this is what happens when you give so little thought to the women that you're writing and putting on screen mm-hmm. that, you know, it, the reason she exists is to fill another quota. So you have the black guy in Morgan Freeman, you have the woman in Rachel Dawes, whichever uh, actress plays her in the moment. That that's it's that that very heteronormative thought of we have to have a romantic pairing for this guy because you can't have a big tough macho character without him wanting to put it in somebody. Yeah. You know, it's like if if there's nobody for him to lust after, then is he really a man? And it, it's just that toxic masculinity that um that heter- heteronormative thinking of this is what it has to be to be a uh tough desirable dude.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Very good point. So very briefly because I I mean I don't have very much to say about this character, but we already sort of talked about Harvey Dent a little bit and who eventually becomes Two-Face very briefly really <laughs> and then yeah. he just dies He's so. a blip. <laughs> it's like it's like barely in this so He's what he think yeah. of Harvey well, th- this is
2: yet another one of those you know in, in every single one of these Nolan movies you can pick a character that you could disappear and shrink yep. the movie down to a more digestible length and in this movie it's definitely Harvey Dent you don't really need to have Two Face in order to put into play the machinations that the Joker does. You don't really need um, to have this uh, extraneous, you know, in, in the triangle of of good guys where you have Gordon Dent and Batman. You don't really actually need Dent. It, it's just because he's supposed to be the the person that Gotham is rooting for as their golden boy and whatever. They they honestly could have transferred all of those qualities to the mayor played by Nestor Carbonell who with his pointy eyelashes could have really <sighs> made yeah, a swoon. <laughs> Me too. He's He's beautiful and he would have really I think stepped into that expanded role better than trying to shoehorn in another really cool comic bad guy and i think that's what it is that they just you know they're like okay we don't know if we're going to be able to have like just crank out more of these films but we really like two phase we don't like him enough to give him his own movie so let's just like you know put in a bunch of scenes with him here he could have been gone rachel could have been gone we, we would have gotten a more condensed movie that i think would have worked better or at least just as well and fewer numb butts because that's that's one thing I don't like about you know long movies is the numb butt feeling I don't enjoy it
1: meanwhile my all time favorite movie is over three hours long so anyway (laughs) (laughs) Susie your thoughts on Harvey I think that one
3: thing that the Nolan movies have working against them is that they try to do like almost, like, three villains, so, like, the main baddie, the the second, like, maybe not as big of a threat, but still kind of a threat, and then just kind of, like, a smattering other baddies, or just, like, a lesser baddie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, I, like, it's, yeah, I agree with Carla, like, you could cut Harvey out of this movie, and you could save yourself, like, maybe an hour of (laughs) runtime. Because it's not, and I think part of that also might have to do with the fact that, like, Two-Face isn't a great, like, cinematic villain.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, Not yeah. even
3: when he was in the Joe Schumacher movies. He wasn't even that great. Sorry, Tommy Lee. I mean, he was only really great in that film because he had Jim Carrey to play off of, and even then, like, Jim Carrey showed him in the end. And in the animated series, he's only kind of good because you can dedicate various episodes to him. That's not, like, and not try to condense all his story into, like, a two-hour film. It's, it's, I feel, like, again, this is also my bias speaking, but I feel like maybe you could have worked in more scarecrow, to saying. Or maybe just, like, do the unspeakable and focus on one baddie. Like, oh my god, how crazy yeah. would that be, right? <laughs> like, instead of it's being, true. like, like, the mob... Rush Gould and Scarecrow just focus on Scarecrow. And instead of being like Joker, Two-Face and the mob, focus on Joker. And in the third one like Bane, Catwoman, and Talia maybe just focus on like the little Tete with Catwoman or like something. Or <sighs> I just think that's one of the things that like these movies really suffer with is that like they have like one main villain and then all the other villains are kind of like thinly, like, it's just kind of like, it's like a surface, like a creme brulee. Like, if you crack mm-hmm. it, there's, you're not going to find a gooey center. It's just going to be like air. And it's like, uh, I mean, yeah, no offense, Aaron, but just we could get a conqueror rid of your character and save ourselves an hour of runtime. time. Just saying.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm just kidding because you yeah. said Aaron, I was just playing. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Sorry, Aaron. No, I-, I know what a- a- No, it is Aaron. It is. I-, I just, I just had to say that because you said you could get rid of Aaron and it'd be fine. Well, thanks a lot, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I did that, and I really think Harvey Dent is the most boring character. Two Face is boring. I just don't care about Two Face. Never did. So I just kind of was like, why do we have? two-face even in this as like you said to just be taken out and really when you have such a dynamic villain like the joker and especially the way the joker is played in this movie having any more villains is pointless unless there are people that are assisting the joker that aren't going to have a backstory anyway because it's just pointless it's like you know you have this filet mignon there and then you're trying to you know put in some spam i I, no offense to spam lovers. I've actually never had spam in my life. But <laughs> but you know me. I only like rich orphans. So. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it
3: could be like. You're having like quality. Like authentic Mexican tacos. And then someone brings you Taco Bell. You're like I'm not going oh, to. Get your hard shell tacos out of my face. I don't want these. Thank you. And thank you specifically drunk, for talking tacos.
2: about hard shell tacos, which are an abomination. They're a- an abomination. Thank you. Thank you. I was They're like, word. A- They're a scourge in Taco upon Land. Upon this earth. I do not acknowledge them. I do not acknowledge mm, them.
1: No. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better be. I- <laughs> and no, I'm not joking. Hard shell tacos are not tacos.
3: They are not tacos. Listen, just to like run off on a mini tangent. I had a friend one time tell me like, oh, we're having tacos. Do you want some? And I was like, yeah. And she served me hard shell tacos. And I was like, what is this?
2: What is this? Yes. This is, in case anybody's just joining, this is like <laughs> the Mexican sidebar section where we are like t- telling the truth about hard shell quote unquote tacos. They're not tacos. I
1: I had tacos today. They were, were they not show hard? No, they were not. No. Okay, they were not hard. Show, yeah. So, but yeah, Harvey Dent is the Taco Bell. We'll call him the Taco <laughs> Bell taco of villains. <laughs> the crunchy Taco Bell taco of villains with Ew, the mild. Sit on you. No, it's
3: he's not even soft. cringe anymore. He just he's sogged up in the bag, and you're like, I don't know, I don't have a taco "Anymore?" It's a
4: pitiful heart-shell excuse. Tacos.
1: <laughs> yes, like he's like he's a I hard said.
2: shell of his former self.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, this film, even though it, like I said, this helped change the Academy of rules after the 2008 Academy Awards. They changed it to where you could have up to 10, which will never happen because of the way they do it. You will never get 10 nominees. Um, But they changed it mainly because people were outraged that The Dark Knight was not nominated for Best Picture. And, of course, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture because this is not a film the Academy would embrace. I mean, they, of course, nominated Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger won. But, you know, there is a case to be made, sadly, that that might not have happened if Heath Ledger had been alive. But because of that, the Academy decided they would change their rules so that they said under the guise that they were going to give more opportunities for genre films to get into Best Picture. Has this happened? No. (laughs) I mean, except for Black Panther, this really hasn't happened. I mean, it's still the same. And hey, I love indie films. That's my jam. I'm an Oscar person. I love the Oscars as problematic as they are. I still love them because I'm a film geek. But this didn't change things. They just kind of did it as a guise, which is the way that institution works all the time. It's like, you know, here, we're throwing in this token stuff, but we're not going to give, you know, the awards that we said we would give. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to this past, <laughs> last year's Academy Awards. So Carla, <laughs> what do you think about the fact that, that they did change the rules because of this. And would you have wanted this to have been nominated for best picture?
2: I Well, I don't really remember what the field was like at that point, but I, I definitely think that in general, genre work is not afforded the same amount of credibility that other genres are, um, are allowed. You know, it's, if it's something that's sci-fi or fantasy or, or action like this, it's it's kind of treated as just popcorn fare, and as not actual work. When in fact, it is it is work, and it is uh, legitimate artistic expression, and it's a legitimate. These performances are their performances. There's somebody's blood, sweat, and tears going into them. So, and it's the same thing with television. Television also doesn't recognize genre work, which is ridiculous. Um, some of the best acting that I've seen has been. In movies like Batman and in um, shows like Supernatural. So no, I it, the Academy has not lived up to what it says, but that's not surprising because all they do is flap their gums about things that they're not going to really take seriously. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Susie?
3: The Academy does things where it's like, it's a nice gesture, but there's no follow through. And they're like, we're just going to get this out there to look good. But there's not really like there's no substance beneath it. There's no real like change, and I I didn't know that this had changed. Um, that this film brought about this kind of change, and I think it is really interesting. And it's I think it's it is good to have that kind of change. Rule because within genre work, there are really good story. There are good stories that are told, and they are good stories that can be told. If we give these stories their time, their time in the light, and like have people have more exposure to them, and respect certain artistic styles, and appreciate them more, and and understand like, and we get to see different stories, and get to like hear different things, and it just, I but it's like the Academy Love just is as fun as the Oscars are, and as fun it is to like speculate and watch them. They are overall kind of like in a way very disappointing and not just them, like all kinds of award shows that say they're about making things more diverse and being more open-minded. And in reality, like the same kind of group of people keep winning and there's not really any change. It's really disappointing to see that because there are great talents and great performances and great work done out there. Oftentimes most people unfortunately don't really get to see or or like enjoy for themselves.
1: Yeah. And I mean the other genre that gets overlooked all the time is horror. I mean, Science of the Lambs won, but the reason it won is they kept classifying it as a thriller and it's not a thriller, it's a horror movie. I mean, it just is. I'm and I'm actually do not like Science of the Lambs. I've been very vocal about that in this podcast before. I'm not a fan at all of that movie, but that's a horror movie, plain and simple but the only way they got away with that was by saying it was a thriller. And even though thrillers are also genre films, they're more respected than horror. And there's been some of the best performances I've ever seen in horror movies. I mean, Barry Watson and boogeyman comes to mind. <laughs> I haven't mentioned that in forever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dead serious about that, but yes, but, <laughs> but other ones too. I mean, there are some great, amazing performances in horror films that will never, ever get the respect they deserve. So it is, it is that same kind of thing. So it's like, I remember when this happened and it was kind of exciting because it was like, okay, maybe this is going to open it up a little bit. And it just hasn't really. I mean, some films, you could make the argument that there are some films that would, wouldn't have gotten nominated if there hadn't been a wider field. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's changed anything. It just means that they're letting other things in. So... Yeah, it's it's still, you know, I mean, still, there's only been two women that have ever won best director ever. (laughs) And there's only been a few women that have ever been nominated for best director. So it's like, you know, it's just they just give you little bread breadcrumbs. And I mean, we will be talking about the Oscars again this year and coming up in March. And we're gonna for the first time ever, we're gonna talk about the Emmys in September because we've never talked about that. So we'll be talking about the Emmys because So yeah. I mean, the Golden Globes, you know, famously are not going to be televised this year because NBC is refusing to televise them because of their lack of diversity. And they were given an ultimatum to change that and the lack of diversity and the people that vote on it and decide is what I'm talking about mainly. And they didn't change it. So they decided not to do that. So the thinking is probably because the Golden Globes, the reason people watch the Golden Globes, because the Golden Globes are kind of ridiculous it's because they're really entertaining because you just watch celebrities get drunk and be funny. <laughs> That's why people watch them. And now that they're not going to be watched, they're, you know, I was listening to a podcast where someone predicted this will be the last time the golden globes ever even happen, period, is this year. But it's you know, the more pressure you put on it, you know, the the academy, the look of the academy needs to change too. It's a lot of old white people and they're trying to, but it's still, you know, Uh, Yeah, but okay, so let's get into, um, but let's get into the Joker, played by Heath Ledger, who, of course, passed away, sadly. And this is sort of his legacy, even though I argue a lot of other roles are also part of his legacy, of course, too. But I want to talk about this, I wanted to save a chunk of time to talk about this performance and Heath Ledger in this. And we're going to be talking about 10 things I hate about you later this year too, just to let you know. So we're going to talk about him again, go back and listen to our Brokeback Mountain episodes. We also talked about Heath in that as well. If Ishelle's still watching, she was on that one. So your thoughts, Carla, on um, the Joker and Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker.
2: It was a stunning portrayal. It was similar to what I said earlier about um, Christian Bale in these movies and the tone that that Nolan wanted to set for this universe Heath Ledger filled this role so perfectly because it was so dark and so incredibly scary um it, it, he was scary because he was so human you know like yes he is so just out there he's so out there But he still feels very grounded as a human being, as somebody that you might encounter living your regular life. And honestly, that, you know, and anything that's what makes anything scary, anything that you feel like you might actually come across in real life is terrifying. Mr. Freeze in the earlier Batman films, not scary because when are you going to run into Arnold Schwarzenegger dressed in ice? Well, probably not. I don't know what circles you run in, however, in my life. Rich orphans. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yes, Aaron also doesn't care about ice-cold orphans. So let's not forget. Because <laughs> they're probably poor. If they weren't poor, they're going afford heating.
4: I'm <laughs> oh, a horrible person.
2: But yeah, he, he's... There's something just so terrifyingly normal about him even though he is painted to be so out so out of the norm and also if there's a lot to be said in how film talks about mental illness because they, they do bring up the fact that this guy is mentally ill i don't know how many times they they talk about this directly that this guy is you know that there's something quote unquote wrong with him and how that makes him impossible to rehabilitate and everything. And it's like, have you even tried? But all in all, Heath Ledger's performance is legendary because it does feel so accessible uh, as, as a person. And yes, he's tricky, but he, he does things in a way that in his mind are fair. He puts these things in people's control like the, the the scene with the with the the boats and the 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 triggers it's like okay um by midnight you have to decide whether you're gonna blow up the other boat or not and everybody decides we're not doing it and it doesn't happen and he's so mad because he fully expected once i at least one side to cave, and frankly, I think a lot of the audience did too. If you're sitting in the audience, you're fully expecting one side or the other to just, you know, pop in that switch and blast off the other boat. Um, so again, like that's part of the, that humanizing thing. It's it's that we have so little faith in humanity. We have so little faith in people like the Joker um, that we're the villains in this. We're the terrifying ones in this. Um, and Heath Ledger, he, he put so much into this performance and you can really see it and feel it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And I, I really think he should have been nominated regardless of whether or not he passed away. Like he he really, oh, damn it, again, he made this performance so out of this world that I think that that to not recognize it would have been just absolutely absurd
1: mm-hmm yeah and Susie
3: yeah um when I first heard of his casting I was really skeptical about it because uh, when it always comes to like live action jokers I'm more used to seeing like l- like more of a campy version like more of a not as serious and I, like, I knew Heath Ledger from his previous roles, like, in Burbank Mountain and uh, Knight's Tale and Ten Things I Hate About You. And I didn't know, like, how well he would do this role, like, initially. And when I saw the movie, I was really, I remember being really surprised, pleasantly so, because he, he did a great job of bringing this, like, unhinged madman to life. Because, like, even like for a moment, you forget that it's he. Like, mm-hmm. you forget that it's it's him, and it's and you. Just see this this being of like chaos and destruction, who's determined to bring out like the worst in people, and just cause as much destruction as he can. And he does it so gleefully as well, too, like with no remorse and no regret and even with the fairy scene like and even he shows that he's not really content to leave things up to people because he also has like certain expectations that kind of have to be met like even for himself because when he sees that fairies don't blow each other up he's like fine i brought along a plan b and he pulls out like a like a second detonator and he's like i'm gonna make them i'm gonna make them blow the way and and it's also kind of like a Kind of like the thing where you see that he's all oh I just want to see people tear each other to pieces but if they don't tear each other to pieces I'm gonna do it anyway because I wanna see it and it's it's like he's so horrible and he's and like regardless of he's passing or not like Carlos said his performance as a joker is really good because it is a more like serious grounded just like unhinged like he's he's just determined to do whatever he wants and it caused as many or as little damage along the way mainly more damage it would seem but it's it's like I really applaud Heath for that because he he took this cartoonish character and he made him like an actual threat not only to Batman but to like the world around him and that's it's 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 really one of the best joker performances and i don't think any joker after that has really like even come close because it's just it's in a way it's kind of terrifying cuz you're like oh my god and you can it's <sighs> heath ledger just did like he did great and he should really be like respected and applauded for that because it really shows his strength and dimension as an actor.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when when the news came that he was cast, at, same with Susie, I was very like, Heath Ledger, why would you cast Heath Ledger as a Joker? To me, it just seemed so weird. And at the time, and I forgot to mention this before, I helped run a Batman Begins fan website. That's how much I loved these <laughs> movies and, and um, and Christian Bale in them. And I remember all of us on the website were like, why, why? But we kept going, okay, well, you know, Christopher Nolan has done well pretty much for the most part so far with casting. We're going to trust that he did this, but there was still that question going in. And I, and I loved Heath Ledger. I still think he should have won the second he comes on, and the second you see him, it's totally different. It's, it's like all—I mean, like all your doubts, I mean, go out the window from the very first moment he comes on. And there's so much physically that Heath Ledger does in this role that is pretty outstanding and amazing. I mean, I, I talked about it on Twitter when I was rewatching it last weekend, just the way the hospital scene when he's in the hospital when Harvey Dent and he's got the nurses' outfit on. And just the things he does in there, like even when he's walking the halls, like he does this little moment where he gets um, hand sanitizer and it's just this brief little moment. It shouldn't mean anything, but the way Heath does that, it's he's still doing it like the Joker would if the Joker was to put hand sanitizer on the way he walks out of the building is the most terrifying and unsettling walk I've ever seen a villain do, honestly, because it's just this weird walk but it fits the character the way he's always like the way he does his tongue and his mouth and the way his like makeup is always askew, and it's never perfect. And it's because he's askew. uh, it fits his character. Um, the relationship he has with Batman is interesting to watch because he's, you know, he doesn't want to kill Batman. And I really believe that when he said that, that he doesn't want to kill Batman. He wants to, you know, he, Batman is fun for him. I think he has a lot of fun toying with Batman, playing with Batman, seeing what bu- buttons he can push. I think there's even a part of him that's like, Ooh, I wonder if I push the right button if Batman will cross that line and actually kill me. And I think that's somewhat of his goal in this weird way is to see where he can, how far he can push him. And he almost does. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's such a dynamic performance and so incredible. And, I do think Jack Nicholson was great as the Joker, but that's a totally different, more cartoonish villain than this. This is a villain that could exist. This is a villain that you could actually envision. And a lot of that is in Heath's performance. And Heath was such an amazing actor, anyway. Like I was going to say with Brokeback, I think he should have won for Brokeback, frankly. Philip Seymour Hoffman was brilliant in Capote, but Heath Ledger was so incredible and broke back mountain. So that's the thing is he has a legacy of a lot of roles where he gives so much of himself, even in 10 things I hate about you, which isn't like this, like I love the movie. I've seen it tons of times, but it's not like, you know, Shakespeare or something, but he gives everything to it anyway. And he just, that's just who he was as an actor. And while I love this performance and I think it's great and wonderful, the one thing I wish hadn't happened When it came to this and his death is people blaming this role for his death, which to me trivializes who he was as a human being. I think it's very callous and cold for his family, for his daughter. I I just, I don't think that's, you know, we don't know. We didn't know him as a person. Only his family and friends knew who he was and what he was going through. And to say that it's because he let this role get into his head, I'm not saying that doesn't happen because that does. But to say that's why he died is really cold, I think, and just plays into our celebrity fixated culture. Um, and so I kind of wish this wasn't the role that is so, even though I, I understand having me be associated with him because he's great and brilliant and wonderful and it's an amazing, incredible performance. But at the same time, using it as like, saying this is what happened and because he got into this and that whole meme that would go around with Jack Nicholson, I warned him not, you know, that whole thing. It's just gross and icky and it plays into the whole TMZ and, you know, that kind of crap. And it's disrespectful. And I wish we would just view this as this is part of his legacy because he was an incredibly, incredibly gifted actor who you, he to me, he's in the same um, arena as River Phoenix in how I just can't even imagine what they would have done at this point in their careers. I mean, River Phoenix was so incredibly talented. And I remember where I was when River Phoenix died. Same thing with Heath Ledger. I remember being at work and hearing that and thinking, no, that wasn't true, that that didn't really happen. And Being so shocked because you don't always think about when young people die, younger people, I think it's always a lot more shocking. And it's so sad not to know what other stuff they could have done. And it's heartbreaking for his young daughter. That's the most heartbreaking part of all of it, of course. Uh, But yeah, he and he deserved the award regardless of why it was given. He deserved that award. And it was just breathtaking. I do, uh, you know, want to say briefly on that comment about mental health. It's it, it's interesting to me because um, in the movie The Joker, <laughs> with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, which we talked about on our mental illness portrayals. Which actually, I do think Joaquin Phoenix was breathtaking and outstanding in that role. I do want to say that he was incredible. That was a totally different Joker even though people like to compare them, I think they're totally different, but I have major issues with the film, the Joker because of the way it handles mental illness. Cause that film to me is not about superheroes. It's not about this world. It's about watching a mentally ill person. um, And there's no other counterpoint of people that are actually getting help and getting okay. And yes, it's supposed to be also um, an attack on the healthcare system, but it just kind of misses the point sorry to get on a tangent there but but because i think what you're saying carla is interesting because i do think when we've been talking about it it'd be interesting sometime to talk about the batman films in general and the arkham asylum and talk about how they treat mental illness in these films because they don't treat it very well but for some reason it doesn't bother me as much in this one with the joker and i don't and i think it's because the other one is so visceral in its violence and in the fact that you're in this person for over two hours, you're just with this person and the performance is so visceral and some scenes in there. I remember when they ended in both, my sister and I like let out a sigh, like, oh, my God, thank God that's over. So I think that's where the difference is for me. But I but I totally get that and see that because I do think they don't overall handle mental illness very well in this franchise at all in any of them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So may he rest in peace and yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up part one of the Dark Knight trilogy. Part two will be dropping on Friday. And I really hope you enjoy the rest of our Christian Effing Bale month. We have a lot of great content coming your way. We are going to be talking about the films, The Machinist, The Fighter, Equilibrium, and then we're going to end the month with The Prestige. So keep an eye out on our social media and our YouTube page for some live streams for some of those movies. In fact, all of them, except for Equilibrium, will be live streamed on our YouTube page. Probably most of them will be on Saturday nights, but just keep an eye out on our social media for more information. And since this is dropping on Wednesday, remember, tomorrow night, we've only got like two more episodes of Dexter New Blood, which is just... Mind-blowing. But join us tomorrow, Thursday night, at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's 6 Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern, as we live tweet Episode 9 of Dexter New Blood, And then head on over to our YouTube page for our live stream. So that should be a lot of fun. They always are. So make sure to like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod, on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, Christian Bale, we're talking to you, feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. So remember, on our next episode, it'll be part two of the Dark Knight Trilogy. Thank you so much. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing, Black Lives Matter, and Stop Asian Hate.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW route We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series,